0: everybody welcome to the very first episode of the whiskey throttle show brought to you right here at the Lee design saloon we've got a hell of a show for you today uh kicking it off here we're going all out we've got roger DeCoster, the man uh, arguably the most successful guy in the entire sport of motocross uh we, that's a great bench racing segment we can get into that later but uh, certainly you can look at his career and his statistics and make that argument Uh, He's brought to us by PowerDot. Uh, We're going to go into his whole life and career and his recent step into retirement. Uh, But we've got some other segments as well. Uh, We want to talk to you about the Method Race Wheels front end chatter. So we're going to kind of get into just some conversation about what's going on, current events and things like that. We've got the Decal Works last call session. That's going to get weird. I'm not going to lie to (laughs) you. We're going to have some fun with that. And finally, we'll be answering any and all questions on the Four Wheel Parts Q&A, the Get At Me Q&A segment. So Uh, Lots of fun stuff going on, but a big crux of this is going to be focusing on Roger DeCosta and his career, his life. Uh, But before we get into that, let me introduce you to the team. Uh, I'm David Pingree. I'm going to be your host. With me is a guy with six championships, a 125 World Championship, a 125 National Championship, two 250 Supercross Championships, a 450 National Motocross Championship, a Supermoto Championship. Between the two of us, six titles. I mean, we are kicking ass. Yes, they are all grants, but we're a team, and that's what teammates <laughs> do. We kind
1: of share. Um, buddy, welcome to the show. We made it to show one. Well, it, it's unbelievable to be here, and uh, thanks to everyone involved, Ping. This has been quite the journey to be here at show one, and and, and like you said, show one's got to be a, a showstopper, so who else better to bring than Roger DaCosta, and, and he uh, was so uh, willingly to oblige, and that, I think, was pretty cool. And, and one thing we know about Roger is... We don't know a lot about Roger. <laughs> we know what Roger's done um, past racing, but, you know, who is Roger and, and when and how and all that? I think this is going to be great, and uh, we've got some great sponsors. You can see some of them behind us, and uh, this is cool. I'm telling you, we're going to have some great guests, and this season is going to be one heck of a journey.
0: It's going to be a lot of fun. And my, you know, I was talking to Roger a little bit before the show, and I just said, I'm, I'm excited to learn about your GP days. I've never heard you talk about it. I've never heard people get into that in an interview, you know, series with you, and Usually everything is something current events, you know, what's going on with the team now, what's, you know, what are you up to? Who do you think is going to
1: gonna win? Yeah, and How's he looking? Yeah.
0: Whatever. I want to know about I want to know about the yeah. GP days and we're going to find out about that tonight. <clears throat> I want to introduce you to the other part of our team. So over here behind his uh, very expensive Apple computer, um, <laughs> this thing can run a podcast and also I think launch spacecraft uh, into into orbit, is that right? It, it, well, oh, yeah. We paid enough for it, so I, it better be able to. Anyway, yeah, this yeah. is Donnie Bales over here. If anyone's familiar with uh, the Motocross 101 DVD that I put out, or Grant's DVD in his instructional ride, what was that called?
1: Uh, I, you don't remember the name of it? Anyway, <laughs> I have Grant six, has I one. Have
0: six it
2: Championships, is. that's what it's called. Yeah, no, it's, anyway. Uh, uh
1: What is it called? <laughs> Help me out
0: here. I'm
2: drawing a blank.
0: It's available on iTunes if you can find the name of it. Mine is Motocross
1: 101. Anyway, <laughs> my, moving what, what's on. What's it, a day?
2: Uh, learning to ride with Grant Wilson.
1: <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, it was very <laughs> tough. That's why I
2: couldn't think of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a really uh, elaborate name. Good job. Uh, anyway, Donnie produced videos for both of us, so it was kind of an organic way that we all came together to produce this show and put it together. And uh, I'm excited, personally. I think that we've got a little bit of, of interesting chatter with our guests, and we also have some funny stuff, some kind of stupid stuff. <laughs> it's going to be a good mix. I was going to say, pretty much explains us. Yes. Hey, can I join in that, that six
2: championships, too, by the way?
0: Oh, what are you gonna? You got some like local? No, no, no.
2: I want to. I want part of his championships the way you got them.
0: Oh, you want like one, and I'll take yeah, two, I'd... and he gets three.
2: Yeah, I'd be good with that.
0: It's
1: like a three-two-one
2: special.
0: I mean, you still got the money, dummy. Just share the okay. Share the glory with us. All right, all right, good. We've all got titles. Um, I want to get started. Let's kick right off here with our uh, Method Race Wheels front end shatter. If you're not familiar with Method Race Wheels, these guys are the official race wheel supplier for Troy Lee Designs and their race team, also their mountain biking team. These guys are making a big push into all kinds of action sports. They produce the fastest, lightest, highest performance wheels in the off-road market period. So if you're into UTVs, trucks, Jeeps, uh, sprinter vans, which have become super popular at the races, uh, Method Race Wheels makes the raddest stuff for them, period. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So um, check those guys out. We'll get we'll get you more familiar with those as the show goes on. Um, so the front-end chatter segment, we had a few little topics. We just kind of want to touch on current events and I'm gonna kick this off with injuries. You know, when we get to this point of the season, it's almost like it's, it's becoming December. who can stay healthy. Yeah. Who who can avoid injuries going into this last month? And I know you need to push to try to get your pace there and you've been building this fitness base and now it's time to make sure you've got the speed, but
1: doing that without getting hurt is tough. It always is. I mean, I you know, every year that, you know, we've been there as a professional and uh we got Rogers sitting over there. As a team manager, you always know it's it's the nerve-wracking time of the season. You've done your testing, your guys are in shape, the bikes are dialed, everything's good. Everyone's trying to maintain. And I, I kid you not, it's those last three weeks leading up to to the first round. Just things seem to happen. Whether it's a freak accident, uh, something unusual, you just never know. I mean, in the 250 class, we've seen that that it, it can benefit. Some people, but not others, because you've got a West Coast and the East Coast, so you have more time. But coming in, when it, when it comes, especially 450 guys, injury is a big problem coming this time of the season.
0: Yeah, and we see in the 250 class, a guy who's maybe slated to ride West gets hurt. Like Christian Craig, recently broke his thumb. He's now going to slide over to the East Coast. They pull someone else over. So you've kind of got an out there, particularly if you were going to ride West. They don't have that in the 450 class. Yeah. You've got to be ready for A1 to be in the points. Uh, Eli Tomac is, is fighting through an injury, and I don't think a lot of people know much about this. He's tried to keep it very quiet, but he's been off the bike for a, a few weeks. He, he didn't show up to Kawasaki's shoot. Um, no one's really speaking what kind of injury it was, but he's off the bike for a little bit. That's going to affect his prep time, period. There's just
1: no no way around it. I mean, at, at this point of the season, when you look at the depth, especially in, in, in all the classes, um, and the 450s is probably the deepest it's been in many, many years. I mean, there's always been the top superstars, Um It seemed like years ago there was maybe three guys or four or five guys that separated themselves, and then there was kind of a drop-off. Well, over the years, the the, the 250 Supercross and Outdoor Champs have been moving up, and you haven't seen too many guys retire, so it's starting to stack up. So if you're Eli Tomac, one of the favorites, is it a big deal? I think it could be, you know, with so many good riders. I mean, he's even got his younger teammate there who's trying to prove a point, yeah. I, think, I think it's going to hurt Tony. Well, he had, he had him covered at the Monster Cup. He had to move over and let Eli go by for the million bucks.
0: I mean, that tells you that kid's on the pace. What do you think he got out of that? <laughs> Set of method wheels? Maybe. maybe uh, Something. <laughs> he better have gotten something. You're going to pull over
1: for a guy. <laughs> you may as well put a truck on those wheels, buddy.
0: <laughs> Boy, yeah. Um, you know, there's other guys. Marvin Moosecan came back from an knee injury, and he's riding again. He's back in the swing, but he definitely missed some time. And as a guy who's had three ACL reconstructions, I can tell you they're never the same. They're never quite the same. And every time you come into a rut, you're kind of thinking about it, making sure you don't hang it up and catch it again. I'm curious to see how he rides with that, if that bugs him again. He didn't fix it, whatever that injury was. I'm just anxious to see how that affects him. Uh, we got Mookie, who crashed over in Europe, had an ugly one. I don't know if you saw it on video. It's, a, it's horrific. Uh, he's lucky to have walked away without anything broken. But certainly rattled his cage a little bit. Ken Roxon coming back from the broken hands. uh, One right after another. (laughs) Those things are terrible as well. Um, He far went past what I thought he would be able to come back and do. Um, I think a lot of people
1: didn't even know if he would come back, truthfully. So I think with that, uh, what he's done, you know, like even in 2018, his progress after the, you know, other hand issue, uh, it was pretty good. And at times, I think early in the season, people were – well, at round one, he kind of struggled in, uh, in in the first moto, and and we thought I I thought maybe he was done for the season, maybe this was it, and he stuck through it. He kept fighting, and he got to that point where later in the season, I think a lot of people thought, okay, he's going to win, he's going to have that breakthrough. It didn't quite happen, and some people had asked me what they you know why, or what you think, and I, and I go, it's it's kind of like being good at anything. You know, you can work so hard and you get so close, you're like, I'm almost really really good. <laughs> And I think he got to that point. Now he's had some time in the offseason. Has he changed anything? Has he had time to recover? Has he progressed from that? Because I think if that's the case, then 2019 could be quite interesting with him. Well, he, he's far surpassed anything I thought he would
0: get back to. I was a skeptic when I saw how bad that hand injury was, bone grafts, surgery after surgery. I thought there's no way he gets that hand back to where he doesn't have numbness and tingling. I just didn't see how he was going to get the vasculature back. And he, he did. I mean, good, I'm, I'm stoked that he did, that's awesome, and I'm anxious to see where he's at coming into 2019. Um, another guy, who, this is an interesting topic to me, I think Jason Anderson, who's our current champion, is the underdog coming into this year. If you ask guys, who's going to win, it's like Eli, Marvin, Ken, those are the guys people are talking about. They, they kind of go, eh, I think
1: Ken, I think Anderson kind of had it handed to him because everyone crashed. You know, and that comes back to that that's how championships work. I mean, nothing is ever given to you. You have to earn it. And there were years that we've seen the fastest guy not win, and there's years you see the fastest guy dominate. At the end of the day, Anderson came out. He was sort of the underdog. He flew a little bit under the radar. I think some people said, hey, he's like that guy I keep your eye on. And then all of a sudden, half of the series was like, wow, what just happened? Like, this is almost over immediately. But like you said... When you go into 2019, and people go, well, you know, if, you know, Marvin's there, uh, Tomac's fast. If he doesn't make, you know, but there's always those ifs, ifs, ifs and ifs. And uh, the other thing too is there's a lot of riders. I mean, one is staying healthy. Two is you got a lot of competition. And three, I think, because Anderson didn't compete in too many of the outdoor nationals because of his injury. It's that old saying in racing: you're only as good as your last race. And I think maybe he's become. A little bit in, you know, not in the forefront of the mindset for people, but maybe he's a little bit of, I don't want to say a distant memory, but he's, he's in the back, you know. Yeah, he's certainly become a, a little bit of an afterthought or an underdog.
0: and, and frankly, But I, I think, think that could
1: be a mistake for a lot of people. I,
0: I agree. I, in fact, I, you know, in the RacerX uh, Supercross preview shows, I picked Eli Tomac to win the title this year. And, you know, afterwards I thought about it. I'm like, God, I'm probably sleeping on Anderson. I mean, here's a guy who took the summer off to, to heal that injury. So he's getting nice and rested. He's coming back. This is your, your series champion from last year. He's probably going to come in swinging and, and uh, really surprise a lot of people, which
1: shouldn't be a surprise. He's a You can tell he's got that natural Supercross technique, ability, the way he rides a bike. I think Supercross really works for him. Um, maybe not so much for outdoors because we've seen that. Guys like Sealy, even Marvin at times, you, when the track gets rough, you've got to learn how to, you know, basically bulldog through there. And uh, for Anderson, I think his strength is in Supercross. I'm not saying he can't ride outdoors. He's obviously, you know, phenomenally good there too. But his wheelhouse is in is in the stadiums, and he did well in Australia. He's done well in uh, Europe in his offseason. So, so far, it's, you know, the champ still looks like the champ. Champ looks good. Absolutely. Uh, one more guy I want to touch on when we were talking
0: about injuries, and that's Weston Pike. Uh, undoubtedly had the worst injury this off-season over in Paris, got landed on and had a whole bunch of facial fractures. Really, really scary crash, you know, as, as a as a guy who's in the medical profession a little bit, seeing how much blood he had coming out of his airway and, and being able to protect that from a guy who's unconscious is really scary. And so kudos to the, the EMS crew over there in, in France that took care of him. But looks like now he's back on his feet. He's going to make a full recovery. That is awesome. Um, and I want to give a big shout-out to Road to Recovery. Those guys went way above and beyond helping him get back to the States. It was an expensive flight, and um, he's got a long road in front of him. Those guys are, are standing beside him, helping him. Uh, if you can donate to Road to Recovery, I, I recommend you, you please do that. <clears throat> it's all tax deductible. And speaking of that, if you want to help them, we have live shows that are going to be happening. Our first one is January 4th, and you can come right here to the TLD Saloon here and watch the Whiskey Throttle Show taped live. We've got Cornhole Ping Pong. All the 805 beer you can handle. Good times. This is going to be a fun show here when we open it up to the uh, to the crowds. And uh, every single dollar that we raise, it's $20 for a ticket to come watch the show. That all goes to Road to Recovery. Uh, and that's going to help guys like
1: Weston Pike who get hurt and need that help getting back on their feet. Yeah, no, I think that's something really cool. I mean, uh, those uh, <coughs> folks from Road to Recovery have been around a while. They've helped a lot of people over the years. You know, Jimmy Button was one of the... Uh, founders of that with with his mom and and they've just taken it and and helped um, as you said a lot of people that probably didn't did, didn't ever th- think they would need to lean on something like that. Um, no one ever g- goes into anything planning to get hurt, but when those things happen, all of a sudden you go, "Wow, how do we do this?" There's your safety net, and they've done a lot of good, and so we want to team up with people like that and keep you know giving back.
0: Yeah, we've we've tried to partner with them. Like I said, you can go to the dot com to buy those tickets, or go to roadtorecovery.com. dot com. Click on the shop link, and that'll take you right to the Whiskey Throttle page. You can pick up those tickets and uh, help out guys like Weston. Uh, let's move along. I want to get right to our guest. I'm excited. PowerDot is bringing you our guest tonight, Roger DeCoster. If you're not familiar with what PowerDot is, we're going to be explaining that here as the shows go on. We're going to get you guys more familiar with it. Uh, it's an electric muscle stimulator, and it's changing the way athletes and individuals who are health-minded are training and recovering and, and coming back from injury. Uh, you know, their, their motto is recovery for everybody. See what they did there with those... Plan words um, basically what this thing does is it's not just a nerve blocker like a Thames unit this is a this actually fires your muscle and any whether it's a surgery you're coming back from or an injury it flushes out lactic acid and any kind of uh, deposits in there uh, it warms your muscles up before you ride so if you're talking about arm pump you run through a cycle on these uh, it reduces arm pump reeducates and strengthens your muscles post surgery or uh, anytime you have an injury uh, this thing is just Absolutely phenomenal! It's the size of a matchbox car. It's tiny, so it's not like the old clunky boxes that some of these other brands give you with all these wires. It's all Bluetooth, runs, runs over right off side. your phone. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, and these guys, if you go to uh, powerdot.com, they're giving 10% off, and 10% of those profits will go to Road to Recovery as well. So 10 off for you, 10 to Road to Recovery. It's a great deal. Check them out at powerdot.powerdot.com. Uh, again, we're going to get more into those
1: guys, um, just explaining what those are. We'll. I like the massage feature, as you can imagine. <laughs> these days, I don't deal with arm pump and recovery from workouts. It's I like the massage feature. Just lean back on the couch. Yeah. Well, I throw it. My favorite
0: thing is sort it on the back of my neck between my shoulder blades. That's where I tend to lock up and get like this. And You can sit there and watch TV or scroll through you know, Instagram or whatever while it's working. Um, and then you wake up the next morning, it's a stuck well, on your yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. that's all Been right. There. Leave it on for a couple days until the pads fall off. There you go. All right. Let's get right to it. Uh, Powerdot Dot bringing you five-time world champion Roger DeCoster. Roger, you mind coming on up? Everybody give a hand to Roger DeCoster. Did you ever ride for Roger at all or work with him?
1: No. That's another story. I almost did. <laughs> Maybe I should have. Yeah, well, we never got there. <clears throat>
0: let him get set up here you go to uh, there you go roger welcome
3: good to be here.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry we had to bring him up from the audience um first of all thank you for coming on uh i know that you're busy you've been at the test track all day you said and uh we don't take your time for granted so thanks a lot for coming on you're welcome um I don't know, I, I want to just go back and start at the very beginning. And uh, I kind of set some questions out, just chronologically. I, I, like I said, I'm very interested in the early GP days because I, I came onto the scene here in racing in like the mid, early 90s. So I've watched what you've done firsthand from then on. It's the stuff before that that interests me. Um, so let's just start with, tell us about, the, tell us about where you grew up. Because I heard a really interesting story about how you got started racing. And I, I want to grew- hear that
3: again. I grew up in, uh, in, uh, on the outskirts of Brussels, uh, Belgium. And uh, in uh, you know I uh, I started in in my neighborhood on on our street there was uh, the the kids on my street they were all a bit older than than I was and so when I was about uh, eight nine ten years old the guys on my st- street already had bike they were like seventeen eighteen twenty years old and. I always used to go hang around and watch them walk on their bike and cleaning their bike, and soon they let me help them clean their bike and polish them. And the bikes that they had at the time—I'm uh, I'm talking in the, in the this was in the 50s there was the Triumphs, uh, BSA, and Nortons were the, the so big, the big brands. bike. So English uh, brands, all English four at strokes, the time, yeah. yeah, all four strokes which, and which is funny. Cause and they were str- uh, street—they yeah. st- were street bikes and and. Uh, uh, once a year, they, we lived next, to, next door was a pub. <laughs> that <laughs> uh, could have been dangerous. <laughs> that was good for my dad, actually. <laughs> but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but um, uh, once a year, there used to be races in Europe on open streets uh, with, with street bikes, street motorcycles. And like
0: Isle of Man style, or they're just... N- n- no,
3: there would be a loop, like a, like a 60, 70-mile loop, and they used to use uh, farm roads they try to get secondary roads and um uh, and they would race like 24 hours or sometime 12 hours sometime 24 hours and there was a checkpoint at the pub and all night the bikes would come by you know for 24 hours and they would get their, their stamp there and and keep going and i was maybe 10, 10 11 12 years old and i was on the window all night could, you know, could Just not go to it. sleep yeah and that's what sparked my interest in bikes and then the 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 these older guys on the street they uh, they let me hang out with them and they soon they would take me with them riding and and uh, then they would bet me uh that I could not ride their bike up this hill or something you know in the a, in the a, in, a, in a little forest next to where we lived and and any chance that I had to 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 ride the bike was i, I would do anything and yeah. And uh, and then I started working in a motorcycle shop and doing, you know, little jobs like changing the oil, um, adjusting the chain, fixing flat tires, changing cables and things like that. And uh, I saved the money and and uh, kept it to us to, to a bike. That was my, my dream. And uh, I always ask uh, my, my, my dad, you know, about buying a bike and buying a bike, but... Uh, our family did not have the the financial uh, means to to buy bikes. I, I had four brothers, all younger than me, and my dad worked in a steel mill. And uh, my dad had a, a sales drinking problem, also. So he would he would uh, get into a drinking spree and and be drunk for two weeks straight. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he would feel so bad, and then he would walk like a, like a madman and to make up for it. And he, he walked in a steel mill, and they walk shifts. He would do two shifts back-to-back.
4: 12-hour back. Uh, shifts?
3: Two, uh, two, <laughs> two, uh, two uh, eight-hour shifts, 16 mm-hmm. hours straight. And, uh, and uh, you know, he would go like that for, I don't know, four, five, six months. And then he would get into another drinking spree and...
0: So that bar next door, that
4: pub, so was kind of a
3: curse, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so um, by the time I, I was 16, I, which was the age that you needed in Belgium to be able to take part in a race, I had saved enough money and uh, I bought a little race bike. And But I did not know enough about racing. I just liked it and watched it. And And so the first three races I did uh, I break, broke down, you know, With uh, there was basically ignition failures because in Belgium we had a lot of rain yeah. and I did not know how to prepare uh, the uh, bike well enough so that there would not be uh, problems with, the with ignition and with electrical well. stuff. So then I was out of money and I walked through the winter again and then the next season I had built a combination with uh, another engine and I bought... Forks from a street bike that had uh, uh, hydraulic pumps inside, which was new at that time. And with that bike, the, the first race of the new season, I, I ended up running. There that was a small race in the junior and all that. And I kept my bike at uh, at my friend's house down the street, one of the older guys. And... and uh, is it true Ma- that
0: your dad didn't know? I've heard that your Ma- dad didn't know Ma- you raced. Ma- he learned Ma- by Ma- reading
3: it in a paper. Yeah, he, he did not know. And uh, they didn't want me to race. And it was, you know, it was a lot of pressure to go to school. And I did pretty good in school at, uh, uh, up to that point. And, uh, oh, so you're
1: already hitting <laughs> the game compared to most riders.
3: <laughs> if you're doing okay yeah. in school. <laughs> yeah. So but, you're already uh, winning before you started winning. Yeah, in, in a way. But... Um, so, after winning this race on 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 Monday, my dad always, when he came home from work, he always would read the paper by the fireplace because there was no central heating in our house, and and he always seemed to have cold feet. So he would <laughs> read the paper, you know, next to the fireplace, and he goes, "Roger, is what what is this? Is this you?" And there was this tiny little thing, you know, about one inch wide and three <laughs> lines uh, in the paper. Local rider, Roger DeCosta, wins, you know, junior, <laughs> junior race. And I go, yeah, yeah, it's me. I didn't know you had a bike. Well, he told me I could not have one, you know. And so where is the bike? Oh, ah, Renee down the street and all that. And then a couple of weeks later, there was another race. And he came to, to watch with uh, some friends from work. And he was already talking. I, My kid, you know, he's... Know, it's <laughs> <laughs> you know he's good. You might want to look at <laughs> <it laughs> and sign him up. Yeah. <laughs> so from uh, no way to race to uh, he's a fan general. after one win. Yeah,
0: <clears throat> that's awesome.
4: So he didn't he didn't obviously race or have any interest in motorcycles. That was he had a motorcycle for
3: transportation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and actually during during the war the that's pretty common
0: back then.
4: In those yeah.
3: Times. yeah, during the war he actually uh, was a courier and uh, in the area of the Battle of the Bulge. Mm, wow! So he, he, he uh, you know, there was no, no texting at that time. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> and uh, he rode a motorcycle to carry uh, messages from on the to to the front. You know, that's more dangerous than like, racing, probably. For, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, what, so, what was the
3: first bike you bought? Uh, it was a Flandria, a little Belgian bike, and uh, but it was terrible. It was such <laughs> no a good. piece of junk. <laughs> I actually yeah. heard of that when I moved to Belgium. I heard of that uh, bike. and uh, I,
1: I battled How do you pronounce it again?
3: Flandria. It yeah. was named after the Flanders, you know, yeah. the, area, the Flanders. Yeah, Flanders. Yeah. Huh. What size was it? It, it was... Uh, my first little bike was a 50, and then I jumped from a 50 to a Java 500. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah.
0: That's the natural progression, to go yeah. from a 50 yeah. to a 500. Um, what So what did racing look like back then? I mean, you said this was basically street racing, yeah. was there scrambles around at that point or what yeah. was the next step no, there,
3: there was there was motocross and, and motocross was actually pretty popular in, in Belgium France Italy they had um, big uh, big spectator numbers I uh, see pictures they had, they had and I mean big, the hillsides were big, covered bigger than today actually and there was um, there was some some big races in Belgium there was uh, there was a big race near Paris that with a Real twenty five to forty thousand people, 40, 45,000 real spectators, not yeah. not fake numbers. Not puffed yeah. out numbers,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So that that, that that is pretty remarkable back then. Do you think it was because basically motocross was new and maybe the cool thing and
3: well it was it was one of the 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 few motorsports, you know, and and uh, I I think Young people were more fascinated with with uh, anything with engines, like motorcycles and cars, than than today. Today, uh, you know, a lot of the young kids they they get it's phones and computers and yeah, yeah. you know, so the electronics. They, yeah, so I uh, I I I think we were more fascinated with whatever had an engine, you know, motorcycle, yeah. cars, airplanes, you know, like
0: that was the that was the electronics of the age was something
1: motorized yeah. right that yeah. was what was fun well it had electronics on it minimal
0: yeah well they broke and then all roger it out, couldn't yeah.
1: figure out how to get it to wrapped up <laughs> the, the little point yeah there you go <laughs> yeah.
0: so who who were the racers you looked up to back then
3: well, and, and it was it at but, that point right away you got
0: into motocross and started following it or
3: yeah but, uh, by the time i, I was um, well, when I was working in the, this motorcycle store, and and even before, I raced. Uh, at that time, the, the English riders were were tops. And uh,
1: is, the, is that the, the because the English were sort of the pioneers or the the originators? Or I, I don't know. It the, seemed the like it kind of
3: started. Well, Eng- England had a big motorcycle industry, yeah. and um, and uh, Belgium. Belgium uh, had also a motorcycle industry not as big as England, and so did uh, Italy, but Italy was more focused on uh, on-road on racing. Yes, right. And uh, England had both, you know, they they, they were big in, in road racing, but they were also big in, in motocross and, uh, and trials. Uh, any, anything uh, with motorcycles, they, they were very big, was very big in England. Uh, in in Belgium, uh, the, from the riders that I looked up to, at, at first, because probably because he was from Belgium also, was uh, René Batten. He was a world champion in 1958. He was from Belgium and he won it on a Belgian brand, on the uh, motorcycle called the FN, which was one of the very first uh, purpose-built motocross bikes. He did, um, he did an engine that was re- really narrow, which, you know, is. It's important for motocross. You don't catch you right your feet yeah, in the ruts. Yeah. if you look at the, that, a lot of the
1: older motors, well, they, they stick out in a front of, of your feet. A lot the English
3: bikes, especially on the on the clutch side, where the engine was always, you know, out of center of the yeah. bike, and the left side, you know, it was dangerous <laughs> to catch your feet, you know, yeah. in the ruts. But this this bike had a, an engine almost as narrow as today's bikes, mm. and uh, but it was very long and very tall. It was, yeah, but it it was. Very powerful bike for the time, and uh, and they they won a lot of races with that bike. Huh.
0: That's and, impressive. And
3: then, <coughs> as I got a little bit older, I I became a big fan of the Swedish riders like uh, Bill Nilsson, Sten Lindin, uh, Gunnar Johansson. Uh, the, those guys, they the the Ingl- the the Swedes, they um, they kind of built a lot of their own bikes. A lot of it was handmade. They they started with uh, uh, a bottom end from an English bike like Albion or, or and then they made uh, their own cylinder cylinder head and all that and made their own chassis. Like uh, if you look at the the Lito, it's, it's which became a monarch later on, but it was the same people making it. It's just a different sponsors, and uh, Lito was uh, actually a, a printing company. Uh, that's why it's called Lito Lito from lithographed, you know. Okay. Wow. And uh, I think that's one still one of the coolest bike. If if you if you look them up, you know. I was say, I haven't, be- I haven't seen one.
0: I, I well, I just know Monarch, Scott Wallenberg, our, our yeah. Racer X publisher. You ask yeah. him a question about Monarch, and you better have some time cleared off in your books because he will talk to you for, like, <laughs> yeah. hours about it. He loves yeah. them. Uh, and they're cool bikes. I actually yeah. rode one at one of our vintage races.
3: But and then there uh, came a Rolf Tiblin, and there was a a, a Swedish, uh, really, craftman, Nils Edlund, that made a complete engine out of scratch and made the chassis also, but, like, a pretty cool engine, and he, he won a world championship on it.
0: Wow, yeah. it's interesting it's how the the different countries like England was the powerhouse yeah, yeah, for a little yeah. bit, and then, and then it was the Swedes, and then you know even yeah, it was Central what drove Europe,
3: that? England, the Swedes, and Belgium. Yeah, because Central Europe then started coming I, together with. I think your Belgium. Maikos one and, one of yeah. the uh, the pluses for Belgium is that geographically we were located in the middle. In in the middle, and uh, we had a lot of races. Uh, Pretty much every town in Belgium had their own race, you know, like at some point of the year, like small races, bigger races. There was hundreds and hundreds of races in Belgium, and Belgium is only the size of Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like from Santa Barbara to San Diego, that's pretty much it. You Uh, can only go about, if you went in a straight line, the longest distance you could go is 200 miles. Yeah, that's Uh, crazy.
0: Is, that, is some of that because of the sandy soil there? You were able to race regardless of the weather?
3: Uh, actually, on, on the <laughs> west and north side of the country, it's sandy, and then the southeast side, it's uh, more rocky, clay, oh. uh, much more elevation changes, like uh, tracks like Namur. yeah, uh, And so they're they <laughs> very, uh, very big hills. And mm-hmm. uh, so they, in a short, within a short um, area, there was a lot of uh, diversity in, yeah. in the type of tracks.
1: Which, which
0: produced good riders as well, right?
3: Well, if you look at
1: Belgium, the size, the population, everything over the years, how many times they've won donations, uh, the world championships, if you add them all together, the right... I mean, Belgium has done a lot of damage in the world of, of motocross yeah. based on, like yeah, Roger said, it's small. I mean, I lived there when I first went to Europe, and it, but it's central because everything yeah. seems to be wrapped
3: around Belgium. You know, like the the, the Swedes, they like to come to Belgium and be based in Belgium because they had a really long winter. Belgium had bad weather pretty much around, but <laughs> it was never really cold, you know. Yeah. You know, you would have a few freezing days, but not like Sweden or Finland or, or Norway. Winter forever. So they, they would come south. The English, either you raced in England or you had to come to the continent, get the, get the ferry, yep. and, and come to Belgium to go race in Belgium, France, Italy, Spain... Germany, you know, so we even to this day, a lot of the top European riders like uh, Caroli and uh, Prado and um, they, they they based in Belgium mm-hmm. because there's good practice tracks and a lot of variety within, like out. you said,
1: driving distance. Mm-hmm. So you can wake up and yeah. go hit a sand track, hit a you know, hilly track, a clay track. Yeah. It's so interesting though.
0: So, talk about your transition then from from uh, those those early days into your pro racing how did that all sort out
3: well in in belgium there was not a, a specific uh, amateur and, and professional class you even in the amateur even in the little races there would be uh prize money small but there would be prize money actually
0: for the amateurs
3: yeah oh yeah yeah for
0: everyone was a pro yeah
3: so everybody <laughs> was an amateur.
4: Everybody hey, it hasn't pro, changed yeah. in the
1: U.S. Amateurs are getting paid big bucks yeah. when they go <laughs>
3: indirectly, but they get yeah. a pay cut when they turn so, pro. So, so I uh, in, uh, at the time, there was three classes in Belgium. There was a junior class. They call it a, sen- a senior class. A senior was actually an intermediate class and then the international class. And then to, to go to the Grand Prix, you had to be, Top three or top four, it changed over the the years. Top three or top top four in your own championship to be able to get a a visa to go to the Grand Prix.
0: In that international class? Yeah, in the
3: international class. So you had to do, uh, it usually was five to six races a year in points that counted towards that uh, national championship. And if you were not in the top three or four, you did not get to get the papers to... To go to take part in the GPS.
1: Mm. So, so what? <laughs> what year did you make that transfer? I was about to say. So you're saying it was harder to get a pro license way back then than it is now. Yeah. Now if you have a sponsor, I think you get a pro license.
3: Yeah. In you know, a in a way, it was. It, in a way, it was harder. It was totally depend on 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 your results also.
1: Hmm.
3: And and that's where you started having. You know, there was uh, smaller countries like uh, even smaller than Belgium. There was like Luxembourg and so they did not have much of a of a championship or history in racing although they had the gp there but riders started taking their licenses there because you know if you could not get your license in in belgium for international for the gps you could get it over there
0: ah uh, okay so you go race their series yeah it's like not that many, not that much talent to draw from in that, that country. Yeah, yeah.
3: but uh, there was a way to get to the GPS if you went. It's not like the top, way they it's in, Like they qualify
0: Japan. for Loretta's here now. They go to ten different regionals and then make sure they can qualify to.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: All right. So, what year then did you make the transition up to GPS?
3: Well, I um, I, I rode a, a GP in Italy in '65. Actually, I went with uh, with uh, Joel. Uh, Robert, Joël Robert. I, I went uh, with him and, and the sponsor, his sponsor, which was the CZ importer into Belgium, and I went just as a passenger to to hang out and and be with them. And uh, the Belgian importer was a, a really good salesman, and a good talker. <laughs> And we were in Italy, at, uh, in Imola, where the, the road racetrack is also, and where there's a GP. They, they actually raced there this year. Yeah, saw that. Yeah. Man-made track. And uh, so we we were there, and at the time, the Czechs, they traveled with a, a bus that was half converted into a, a little... Motorhome. B- a motorhome, yeah. and half for the bikes. And they had an extra bike, the, the Czechs. And... Uh, or the Belgian importer, uh, Marseille was his name, he convinced the guys to loan me a bike and ride. And I I borrowed riding gear and (laughs) and ended up riding the GP. And at that time you needed a um, a medical check before you could do your entry. And that already had been closed. So he convinced the guy to let me go to the hospital in, in, in town get my check there and bring a signed paper from the doctor and they would let me race. So I missed practice on Saturday, did the practice on, on Sunday morning and I got 11th in my, my first GP. 500
0: GP straight into it? Yeah, it was
3: 250. Okay. 250, yeah.
1: Huh, that's crazy. That's not. That's not how you want to start yeah, it out. That that is so interesting. So, did you and Joel Rebe were you guys pretty close? I mean, that Joel, a six-time world champion. For some Joel, people that don't know,
3: Joel was uh, racing way earlier than me. Yeah, you know, he's only a year older, but he started racing a lot earlier. His his dad raced himself, and his dad at a little dealership, mm-hmm. little motorcycle dealership, and so he. Uh, he um, he raced way way before me, and uh, and then uh, at the, at the beginning, the, the, our connection was through the Belgium importer basically. Okay. And um, and then after a couple of years, uh, we ended up coming together to the U.S. You know, in '67 to do the the first trans the AMA tran- stuff. Yeah. yeah. At that time, it was... I forgot what it was called. Trans... Trans, trans AMA. It changed the couple times. It was Trans wasn't it? It was transam, Then it was... Oh, Trans AMA first. Then they called it transam because the, the car series complained about using the same yep, name. Yeah, yeah.
0: So was he a good friend of yours then? Mm. Did you and Joel...
3: We, we got along and... and uh, uh, it was funny. We, we, we got along fine. Uh, but... Uh, he he was a lot different than me and he was he was Joel was super talented you know he he, he was he really the uh, amazing balance but uh, when the tracks got really r- rough and there was a lot of work to do then he was you know sometimes he would close the gas tap and and make the bike quit in front of the grandstand so then, then ah my bike quit, you know.
0: <laughs> that's the old Larry Ward move, where you hit the kill switch as you're going by.
3: Oh yeah, yep, my, yep. my ignition is missing. throw way. your
1: hands up in the air, wave at the mechanics area, <laughs> flip your mechanic but, uh, off.
3: We had a, we had a lot of good times together also on traveling in, the, you know, the East Bloc countries, and we, we spent a lot of time in uh, Czechoslovakia at the time, because that's where the bikes came from and. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joël was a big hero there because he won a world championship and and then another one for them and uh, he won three actually for CZ. And
0: um, is he somebody then that you kind of learned learned from? And
3: I I watched him a lot on uh, on uh, what he did as a as a rider on the track. You know, he, he, because he was so good and he was he was smooth in his his riding and good balance and. He, he, uh, on the mud races, especially, he was he was really really good.
0: But you didn't adopt his work ethic. It doesn't sound like. No, there was things
3: uh, <laughs> we did, we we were a lot different in 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 person. But there was there was a lot of fun times with him. And he
1: <laughs> didn't didn't w- I hear a rumor that he would like if his competitor was lined up next him mm-hmm. on the start line, he would stub his cigarette out on their like grip or the handlebars? I don't know,
3: you know, Joel, there's so many stories with him and some are true and some are way exaggerated, but uh, I remember we were in Australia one year and we were at a racetrack near Sydney and uh, it was really hot and uh, we were hanging around after practice in the pit and all that and the the Adolf Weil from Germany was there also, and there, there yeah. was quite a few of the European riders. And uh, you know, it was a big deal because it was the first time that a bunch of European top grade riders came out there, and and uh, so there was quite a few press people. It was also the race was sponsored by the by uh, a newspaper actually, the the main paper in 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 Sydney, and. Joel Joel liked to always act like he was drunk or drinking or something so he got a bottle of Johnny Walker and (laughs) emptied it and uh, put iced tea in it and he would walk around the pit and go you know (laughs) talk to the guys Uh. with the bottle in his hand and take a sip once in a while and and uh, and then somebody somebody talked to to the referee hey this guy is drinking you know and and so the referee kind of come and check and all that and Joel would take a sip and walk a little bit more and now it's t- it's time to go to to go to staging and uh, Joel gets takes takes his helmet puts on his helmet backwards <laughs> first <Wow. laughs> so he turns it around you know puts it on takes his bike i like this guy you go he <laughs> go grabs his bike and go to kickstart it and misses the kickstarter, you know, it's just like perfect acting. And he's tumbling with the bike. Finally, he gets a start. The referee comes running, no, 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 you cannot race, you know, that is you drunk and all that. Finally, we had to all the riders had to get together and say, No, let him race, you know, he's just faking it.
0: Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Mind games, that's where it starts, right? He was like a mix of the dogger back before there was the dogger, huh? Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, the, the dogger was. Yeah, he was oh, we'll get to yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, was I, got, <laughs> I got plenty of questions <laughs> about dog. That's on the, the timeline, huh? So
0: <laughs> let, let's take me back to your first world championship. What year? What were you riding? What team? Like, how did that come about?
3: The first time I won. Yeah. That was, uh, I just signed with uh, with Suzuki. I, I wrote, Joel and uh, Gubos, they went to Suzuki in uh, 60, uh, 70, 1970. And uh, I was racing, by then I was racing the open class, the 500 class. And so Suzuki, you know, there was Joel, uh, Sylvan, and myself, plus the the, the Czech riders and some Russian riders on on the CZ. So Joel and Sylvan, they left to go to Suzuki in 250. And at that time, Suzuki did did not have an effort in the 500 class. And then, uh, so they asked me to go back to 250 for one year, and I, I raced, in 70, I raced a 250 class and finished third behind Joel and Sylvan. And then um, Suzuki came, and they said they wanted to get in the 500 class and build a bike for that, and so I went to Suzuki, and I was the only rider in, the, in Europe on a 500 Suzuki.
0: Were they, was Suzuki, were all the Japanese manufacturers pushing in at about that time? <laughs>
3: No, there was uh, there was only Suzuki at that time, okay. and and Kawasaki they just uh, the Kawasaki was the second one to, to come with the GP effort with um, Oli Peterson, mm-hmm. and uh, so I um, they sent me they sent me a, a 250 and a 500 bike to practice with and to do the local races with which in, which went really well. I, I, and the, the the big difference with Suzuki at that time, and I think it was like the Japanese mentality at the time, that uh, if there was a problem with the bike, they would try to fix it. They would not try to blame you and say you were a stupid rider. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at the time, <laughs> any European brand, if, if you broke the bike, which was very easy to do, all you had to do is over jump. A big jump or land flat, you would either explode the front hub, bend the forks, or break the frame. You know, <laughs> so it.
0: Well, yeah, that if, was another question if, I had if, about if, those bikes. It,
3: is if if you broke something, there was oh, you stupid rider. You know,
0: it was your fault.
3: Don't you know that you cannot land on with the front wheel first? You know, you 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 should land back wheel first. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's what they would tell you, and it was that's the crazy. same for all the European companies. And and the Japanese made a made a big change of mentality there. They, if you broke something, there was immediately they would go to the local post office and send a, a, a telegram message, you know, a cable to to the factory so, and with the explanation what what had happened yeah. and that they needed to reinforce or redesign that part. Hmm. And and in a very short time, you know, they became they became dominant because they were open to take input and criticism.
0: Did you so? Did you find you were able to then push that bike harder and harder than other other guys <laughs> were on other bikes?
3: Yeah, and and uh, the, the the big thing, the the big advantage I think we had on the on the Suzuki at first versus the European brands was the carburetor. You know, Mikuni was way ahead of any of the European brand carburetors. The bike ran way cleaner, and. Uh, you know, the, although the suspension was not the greatest, that especially the first year, but the 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 thing with Cambray, it's so good. Mm. And um,
1: it's funny to see the power it. shifts, you know, between the countries. Like you're saying, it was like the British had the bikes and and the riders in the very early stages of motocross, and then you saw that kind of Belgium, come and yeah, and Belgium and with a
3: fan, yeah, and then and then you know we started seeing the Japanese. Power well, when were the Mako Ma- 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 was the brand well, the, there for the, a little yeah, while too? C- CZs and, and Makos and there was then Bultaco and, and, and uh, Montesa and... Um, and basically, it sounds like the English brands were starting to fade away at this point, right? Yeah, they... they uh, they w- It looked like they wanted to k- keep focusing on the, on the four-stroke and, and they made some... BSA made some bikes that were extremely light, you know, and it's funny because I- in the... When we came with Suzuki, Suzuki's focus was on making the bike li- light, good ignition, and good carburation, and, and uh, more reliable, and, and try to make it <laughs> more reliable, and all that, and 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 the weight. But the weight was, it, they reached a very low weight because of good designs, mm. and they they made parts smaller, and 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 they used a lot of aluminum, a little bit titanium also, But They're titanium.
1: They were using titanium parts back then?
3: Yeah. But...
1: I thought it was later on. The European
3: companies like Michael, they complained a lot. And and the the British industry complained a lot about our bikes being too light and all that. But BSA made a a bike that had way more titanium than any of our bikes. Hmm. You know, they... they, uh, Jeff Smith at the BSA that, uh, that was... Very close to the weight of a Suzuki. And it was, and a, it was a Porsche. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. They use a lot of magnesium. Mm. They, they they had uh, titanium rims. Jeez. Titanium spokes. Jeez. Wow. What's funny is... Titanium frame. <laughs> Don't
1: you feel maybe things have slowly almost started doing full circle? Because, I mean, if you look at it, we could argue that the Europeans are now becoming sort of a bit of a dominant powerhouse in our sport you know we've seen the power shift from the english to the scandinavians to the europeans the japs now do you feel like yeah. maybe i mean let's be honest husky's well, coming yeah, back yeah. you know you're talking about this yeah. you know
3: when sweden was strong um yeah with uh, you know with ktm and husky we have worked very hard on on uh, getting the weight you know down and and we are the lightest bike now. Uh, although we have uh, we have had, you know, uh, electric staff for a long time, and we, we are substantially lighter than the Japanese bikes right now, in uh, on on the production side, and even on the race team side, uh, the factory side, we we are lighter than the Japanese now.
0: Yeah, it's impressive. And, and we
3: are doing <coughs> it with a steel frame instead of. A yeah, steel there steel you frame. go. And <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> break, right? <laughs> ah, they all break, but uh, you know they. You, you can build them that no, nothing breaks, but then, then they're going to be so heavy. So, so heavy, heavy and, and, over and, and,
1: and basically over, over-engineered yeah. is the case. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. <coughs> Excuse me. Who, who were your biggest rivals back then during your world championship
3: runs? Well, at, uh, for some time it was uh, uh, Whale Bauer, uh, Aki Honson, then came uh, Mikola. Mikola was over the years uh, the toughest guy, and he he was we could never count him out. The guy was was tough, and and uh, I've seen pictures. He just dude, he is he, a he, scary looking
1: son yeah. of a bitch. I was gonna he ask you him, that question. Actually, like, it looks like you were trying to look a little like him. You're getting a little handlebar action going, man. But you're <laughs> not nearly as big or tough. As no, he looked. not at
0: all. This guy looked like a, a an NFL linebacker in photos. I mean, I, you tell me, what was he? Was he intimidating in person too?
3: He. Yeah, uh, he he was he was fit, you know, and he he never gave up. And I remember in '75 there was uh, uh, the, the biggest mud race I've ever been in. There was the Grand Prix of Italy in uh, in in, uh, in close to Alessandria, and uh, I was leading both races, and with a couple of laps to go, the ignition just melted. From the heat because there was so much mud and and, mm. and no cooling, not enough air going. Yeah. And Aki's bike kept going until the last lap, except the last straightaway. But the la- the straightaway was uphill, and he carried his bike to the to the over the finish line and and won. Jeez, uh, <laughs> just yeah. threw it on his
0: shoulder or what did he do?
3: He yeah. just picked it up and and it was it was super difficult to walk. Yeah, and just carrying a bike through that mud was. I was impressive that he did what he did. there. that's crazy. After the race, I I was pissed off because my bike also <laughs> broke, but it, <laughs> it broke two laps Before there was no way you could do that. But I, I was impressive. <laughs> impressed a bit what he did. Yeah, you know it was pretty cool. That's yeah. awesome.
0: Um, so were guys really smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. on the line back then? Was that that a standard
3: thing? I I never smoked, but the the I know that in road racing and I, I saw it with my own eyes. The Sheen used to, he had a of course, he road-raced a full-face helmet, but he had a little... <laughs> yeah, hole. he had a cut-out. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. My dad showed me that when uh, I was a kid. Uh, I was like, that is
1: engineering uh, right uh, there. Uh, he would take last <laughs> I don't know if Troy would approve or if uh, modern-day testing would approve, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is pretty funny.
0: That's hilarious, man. Um, another thing that I always get a kick out of looking at these old photos, and I, I only can look through the you know old archive photos, but... The race rigs back then. What <laughs> what passed for a race truck? I mean, it was like a van, like a, a you know, little Euro van or a pickup truck yeah, with the, a, a the, milk
3: crate the, as a the, stand. The van was already an evolution. <laughs> <Yeah>. be, <laughs> be, before that, like most of the English riders, they actually came with a small Morris pickup because they took the smallest pickup they could take and then they would have to open the... The, the tailgate. The tailgate to be able to put the bike on, and the bike would still hang out of the back. But the reason they used to, uh, used to use that was because they had to take the ferry everywhere they they went. You yeah. know, and mm-hmm. you you paid by by the length of the of your vehicle. So, but m- most of us we used uh, uh, a diesel car like a Mercedes 200 D or 190 D, and uh, a trailer. And we usually made our tra- the trailers ourselves, you know, and and uh, and there again, the Swedes were the the first one to make trailers that looked really cool, and and they they all unmade made them, and they used the 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 tie lights from a from a Mercedes and the little bumper from the Mercedes uh, and, and yeah. ma- shaped them nice. And yeah. at that time, that <laughs> was look like looking at a semi now, you yeah, know? feather light trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can,
0: can you imagine a pro racer's in a pickup truck now? You know, like we've just gotten so used to what's you yeah. have to have a semi or at least a nice sprinter or
3: fifth wheel. Well, it's 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 crazy, you know, like uh, what the riders the support they get now. I see there's so many people that come in our trailer. <laughs> there's one guy that comes and takes care of the goggles. Oh yeah. Another guy that takes care of the the knee braces. yep Then a guy that takes care of the boots. Uh, <laughs> the, the the rest of the there's a butt wiper, yeah. there's, there's the, the a band friend, and and then there's a girlfriend. Someone's got to
0: shake that thing when he's done peeing. He's not
4: going <laughs> to do it itself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you need people. <laughs> no, so paper a paper towel guys. <laughs> to of,
3: <laughs> of course, you need a uh, you need a press person. Yes, and uh, and then uh, you need oh, host- a You need a hospitality a trainer. trainer and a riding coach uh, and know. a life coach. <laughs> It's, uh, some guys actually need a life coach more <laughs> than anything <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's pretty crazy where it's uh, gotten to and but you know many times I, I, I say it's it doesn't make it easier it looks easier for the rider because everything is kind of done for him but on the other hand so they have no excuses anymore yeah you know it's all on you yeah you, you everybody is there to help you and and they film you, they, they tell you, hey, this place, you know, Eli is doing that, uh, Donji is doing this, uh, Malvin is doing that. So you have all this input and all that. But then once you get on the bike, you're alone, you know, and, and it's still up to you.
0: Well, I, that's what we all love about motocross. I mean, I, I don't speak for everybody. It's like you, regardless of the circumstances, when you're on the gate and it drops, it's you yeah. and yourself against those and other riders. And that's and it. Uh,
3: and <laughs> like in, in my days, you know, the. If you made a mistake somewhere on the track, the chances your team would not know about it, or <laughs> maybe a month later, if they uh, picked your shot up somewhere where you're doing taking the wrong line or something. Yeah. But now the rider come in. If you made a if you made a mistake, you know, if he tells you, "Well, I was wide open in third gear," well, yeah. Hold on a sec. Uh, let me pull uh, up the uh, uh, analytics. Hey, can no, can, you, were can not. you go check it out, Ian? Uh, <laughs> And he goes in the ACU and he said, Oh, you were not in third gear, you were in second gear, and you were only three coasters full uh, throttle opening. Yeah. Mwah, you know? mwah, mwah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say yeah. third Call that, gear? yeah. Uh,
1: I'm dyslexic, sorry. That's fine. I second. Yeah.
0: So uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but managing race bikes back then, you know, it makes you appreciate the technology now because if you look at the way Carmichael rode, or really anybody since him, you don't try to downside everything perfectly. You just, as far as you can go, as fast as you can go, when we're talking about motocross and specifically, you couldn't yeah. do that back then. It was like you said, you had to no, you had now, to manage the bike. That was a big part of racecraft.
3: Yeah, no, now it's pretty much the bike can do pretty much everywhere more than what the rider can do, what the hum, human body can withstand. You yeah. know, like you can break your wrist now landing <laughs> from a jump and, and the bike is going to be perfectly bike. fine, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, you know, we talk about the evolution of the sport and bikes and transition. How much involvement did you have on your own bikes? You know, when you look at some of the old footage, there were guys working on their bikes, making custom parts. We, I do know that you like to get on the machinery and, and machine parts. Well and, well, and
0: when you mentioned Suzuki just sent you bikes, it's not like they sent over a technician and a crew to help you. So, yeah, if you were modifying it, if you were working on it, it was you, right?
3: Yeah, I, I was... From from most of the riders, I was always a rider that was involved uh, a lot with the bike. B- before me, probably the, uh, in ge- speaking in general. The, the Swedish riders were probably more most know- knowledgeable of their bike and, and involved with the making of their bike, like a Stan Lundin and uh, Bill Nilsson, uh, Tiblin. You know those guys. They were involved actually in the making of their bike. Mm. Uh, more, th- more than I ever did uh, because they, they, they were one-off bikes, you know, yeah. at, t- at that time.
0: And you think that helped them to kind of develop a bike custom-suited for their own style or whatever? Or, or do you think there was an advantage to that or not?
3: Yeah, of course, the, um, if you go back years, even even uh, between CZs and Huskies and Blue Tigers and all that, the bikes had a more, much more uh, personality in a way, you know, and... Uh, um, a husky was uh, maybe best, better on a sand track. Um, yeah. A CZ was better on a hardback track. Mm. Uh, th- there was much more differences between the bike, the power band, the the transmission, the chassis, the suspension. So it it made for a bike to fit much better to one track, you know, than than another. And may- and maybe almost uh, even like with Formula One. You you see a little bit that today, but but back in the day, you would see,
1: okay, that's a Ferrari track, that's a Mercedes track. But now
3: it's... it's, And we we all, of course, look at each other. If you take now, you can take the four Japanese and the KTM and Husky. If you start measuring things, the important points on the bike, they're so close, you know? It's almost like it's not really a bad bike this day. No, the bikes have gotten so good. It's it's, it's amazing, you know, how good they've gotten... And uh, yeah, so that's why I, I don't even want to to ride. A lot of the guys, they come and say, hey, you need to come and ride the old bikes, to get together, you know, go vintage thing. <laughs> I, I don't want to ride my old <laughs> bikes. I, I got to kick I it, <laughs> knot, I got to prime it. <laughs> yeah, plus I want to remember them as what they were in their yeah. time. They were cool bikes, good bikes at that time. They were the yeah. best, but... Like compared to what they have today, like a stock bike is like 10 times better, you know? Yeah. yeah. S- stock bikes nowadays, yeah. I mean, like you say, it doesn't matter
1: what we're talking about. You could say the worst bike in a shootout is still a really, really good uh, bike yeah. and it won't fall apart or break the frame yeah. or... Snap a throttle cable.
0: Well, I've been racer X. We've gone away from shootouts because I just said it's pointless. They're all good bikes. Yeah. It, it's, it's not like it's, it ride pre,
1: it's rider. It's preference, pretty much. Yeah. Is yeah, what you, it, comes it down used to, to
0: be. Well, this one has a ton of top end. This one is, you know, they were. Yeah. were this one actually <laughs> finishes
1: the race, so I'm going to pick that one. Yeah, they're all good bikes now. There's <laughs> yeah. not
0: a bad bike, so I, we, that just seems silly now. Um, tell me about your training back then. You, you've always been known as a guy who's. I uh, you Were very physical. You were very fit. You were
3: determined. I, I uh, rode quite a bit on the on uh motorcycle, and then uh, I was uh, lucky to hook up with um, in in Brussels the the, so- the top soccer team. Uh, their top player who, uh, was his dad was a motocross fan, and they used to come and watch me race at, in the early days already. And then I became friends with him, and uh, I got to use the the gym facilities and and. Uh, the chiropractor of the team and all that. So I, I, I got to learn a little bit uh uh early on and that was a, I felt a, a big ad advantage for me because I didn't know so much. I, I did everything pretty much by trail and error. Yeah. And I did not have a dad that knew racing. I did not have a, a mentor that was knew about racing. So I I I went the slow road but you know, little by little I figured it out.
0: Well those soccer guys uh, are fit. If they're playing World yeah. Cup soccer,
1: so well, like, you learn. know, like like Roger was saying, but you know, back then that was that would be like, wow, we're going in a really great training program because yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine what what motocrosses. You know, if someone says, how do you become a better motocrosser? Right,
4: like, run, run, probably. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, and, I
3: I I rode, and what I uh, what I did is I I rode rain or shine. I I you know I rode. And yeah. didn't care how much how muddy it was, or so I I, I always uh, rode, and I, I loved riding, and and it didn't matter where it was, hmm. muddy or cold or whatever, whatever awesome. it was. And I did ride a bicycle quite quite a bit also for for training. Road bikes? Like road bike, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: See, I I loved riding, you know, growing up as well. But when I went, moved to Europe, I still said I really admire the Europeans who say I just love riding because I'm like was cold or rainy or muddy uh-huh. and coming from south africa we were allergic to mud so if we saw <laughs> yeah. the, the rain it was like oh we'll call it we'll race next weekend when I it was, dries out i am from
0: arizona we yeah. don't have mud <laughs> yeah.
1: doesn't so exist. you know when i hear you yeah. saying oh we would go out and ride in the mud i'm like man that is, that is impressive that you like we love that
3: and, and in my early days uh, the the motocross season started in uh, like at the end of march and finished pretty much by uh, mid-september third week of september so then I would uh, ride trials in the winter. Mm. and uh, So that, that helped me, I think, to develop the uh, traction control. And, and Trials is big. In yeah. Were you pretty good at that? I won the championship in, in 63.
0: Yeah. So yes. Yeah. You just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> All
3: right. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, <laughs> Short and sweet. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Finishing claw. Oh, that's awesome. We're saying bike. What were you riding? What bike? What trials bike were you even riding?
3: I rode a, a Gilera with a uh-huh. with a homemade frame, and then I rode uh, a Greaves. I got a factory ride from Greaves, but by then the motocross season started early, and I uh, when motocross started, I, I dropped the trials, mm. and and uh, I was leading the the series at that at that time. But I, I once I tasted racing. I didn't want to stay over yeah. the weekend. I wanted to do to, to, to compete in some motorcycle thing.
1: Yeah, now back back then, I'm I'm not too familiar of how you, I know you said there were a lot of racing um, in many places during this the year. I know when I went to Europe, I was I was surprised. Like in South Africa, if there is a, a a club race or a or a race, there'd be like say for California, be a race. Like that was it then you go to europe and they're like well there's a race in holland there's a there's a international in germany there's a, yeah. a, a invitational in france and you're like wow it comes down to it's not if there's a race which one do I go to D- did they offer st- start money for you guys yeah, that's or was it a big pay? they
3: like did you make a lot of money from doing these extra races yeah because the gps i did not make money even if you won you know the prize money was so small and many times like the east block countries what you got was a like their kind of money, which you could not convert, <laughs> you get to spend it in <laughs> that country, Blander. buy a souvenir, you, you get one not, of those yeah.
1: hats you'll never wear again for <laughs> yeah. your family, just <laughs> yeah, to say yeah. I was there. Here's a brick of government
0: cheese. Good <laughs> job. Yeah, there we go. You've done well, yeah, yeah, comrade.
3: Like Russia, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, all all those countries, you could not do nothing with their money. You could maybe buy something locally, like in Russia. When when I got a little smarter, I, I bought. Some, uh, like, samovar or things like that, you know, uh, that have value in check you bought brought crystal. But crystal, you, you could give to your wife or your girlfriend or, or, or your mom, but what are you going <laughs> to do? Or your wife you know? and your
4: girlfriend or uh, oh, whatever. <laughs> 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 we get a little suck. Let's
0: go yeah, get, get cross <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, there you go. <laughs> so were you getting championship bonuses
3: from Suzuki or any of those or no? Nothing. No, I had a How are you, you making a living? Tea. In the international events, the the events outside of the world championship, I got the show money, you know, okay. like I, I would go, I, I got paid really well when I went to Italy or France. That's where the, and in Belgium also, and probably made uh, a couple thousand dollars a weekend. Hmm. Uh, that You're time. talking about a th- couple thousand dollars then, back then? Yeah, back then, yeah.
1: Oh, so we're talking like yeah. twenty, thirty Gs yep. these days. Yeah, no, that's, that's good that money. Is back big. Then. That is yeah. big. Hmm. Now, uh, I got to add to that question: There's no cell phones, there's no email, there's no. Who gets in touch with you? How do they get in touch with you? And how do you sign the deal? Oh, you need to do it
3: ahead of time and uh, by mail. <laughs> hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. They, you they, used the to the be able to send letters. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about. It's those. hard to
1: remember
0: how we even existed before. Yeah,
1: I really. Yeah. Email and crazy. text,
3: right? It's wild. And find, even finding your way, you know, when when you. When you look at today, it's so easy, you know. It, but at that time, like the East Bloc countries, you could barely find a map for those places, you know. Well, I, I recently went,
0: I did the Farley Castle race over in England and trying to navigate through London. Forget yeah. it. Like, I would have died. I'd still be there if it weren't for Google Maps. And we, yeah. Yeah. My wife was just reading the phone and telling me which way to go and I'm trying to shift with my left hand, running people over. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, High-fiving uh, cyclists as you yeah, go by. Yeah, well, <laughs> I
0: was hitting them with my mirrors. Um, any of your world titles stand out for you?
3: Uh, of course, the first one, you know, uh, it was big. Uh, the second one w- was good because I, I felt I, I was the, on the top of my game and my bike, they made a lot of progress on the bike from the first year to the second year. My, my Versus the competition, my, my bike in 72 was... Uh, was really outstanding. Yeah, and uh, and I I was at my best, and I at that time I could, uh, I, I, I was not even worried about the stress. I I, easy, huh? get them. I, I I had the fitness, I, uh, I had the bike, I, had, you know. How long were the motos? Uh, at that time, forty minutes plus uh, plus two, plus two laps. Plus two. Yeah. When when I did the
1: GPs, I, I think it was the last year. In 2000 that they had 40 plus two. It's yep. a long race, especially in the sand. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the yeah. sand. Yeah. Oh my goodness! In now Belgium or Holland, oh, you have to be, yeah. you, you you actually have to really learn to understand the sand because you couldn't ride like that otherwise you'd be done. But they were long yeah. motos. <laughs> you that's had to learn crazy. really quick how to be fit.
0: You, so you remember that feeling of like everything just clicking. The bike's perfect. Yeah. Your confidence is you just know you're going to win. I had like little glimpses of that in my career, like a weekend or here or there. You got championship runs. I'm sure you were on that same thing. I mean, what is that difficult when you're working with riders? Like, you know what that feels like and you're trying to get them there and you're trying to put all those pieces together. But it's so tough. I mean, everything has to come
3: together just right
0: to have that mindset.
3: It's a a lot, a combination of a lot of things. You know, of course, the the bike, the bike is to fit you. You have to see yourself, you know. You see, yeah. uh, need to see yourself there, and 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 have no doubt, you know, no doubt that in of yourself or or that something could go wrong or something. you
0: just. But that's so hard. I mean, uh, I I struggled with that f- my whole career. It's probably what held me back between my injuries and then that uh, creating doubt. You could tell yourself, I am gonna kick ass. This is my weekend. I'm gonna win it. And when you get up on the line, you're like, Ah, no, I'm not this guy's better than me, or, you know, my fitness isn't there. You
3: yeah. know. You can't lie to yourself in your head. Yeah, I, I think it's it starts from the beginning, you know, doing your homework. Yeah. If you have done your homework, that's already one thing that you don't have to worry about. If you know you've done as much as anybody on, on next to you on the line, and and then you you need to, once you pick a bike, if you make a deal with whatever brand it is, you have to you have to be convinced that your bike is as good or better than any other bike out there. You, you really have to believe that, and that's why it's it's a big mistake for a racer to to sign a, a contract with a company if they if you don't like the bike, if you don't think that that is the best bike. Mm-hmm. You're much better off going race for free, and and but with the bike that you really want, yeah. then you're gonna make it back in 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 results and 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 bonus money and you know whatever. Yeah. So, we've been talking
1: about racing back then. I've got a random question I have to ask. Yeah. Did you have tear-offs? Actually, and, and if not, when did they come about? Uh, <laughs> when was that cool? Actually,
3: the, the, the first guy that thought about putting an extra lens on was Adolf Weil, a German rider. Yep. And I saw him do it, then I, I did it. And j- we just used a spare lens. Tape it on? And tape it on. Uh, and, and tape it on. I, I would, there was on the, the goggles I used at that time was a uh, Carrera. Carrera. Yep. Carrera, and Carrera I, yeah, and there was two little snaps, and I, I would s- uh, shove in another lens in between there and then taper it and put a little type of uh, tape. So you got one yeah. tear off. Yeah, the one, and then. then one very stiff tear off, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it was 100% improvement, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, and then yeah. I
0: have two chances.
1: Yeah? Uh, your, see.
0: your second tear off is this, just like <laughs> wiping your jersey across yeah. your goggle. That's funny. Um, Give me your least and and your favorite circuit when you were racing back then.
3: I I really like Namur, in in Belgium. It's a very different track. It's kind of it's like uh, the Monaco of F1. You know. I had Uh, the luxury of
1: of racing it once, and it was insane. I walked around it
0: when I went. I did a supermoto race out there, um, just just past that. (laughs) So we stopped and I looked around. I, I couldn't even imagine. That there was a track there, it seemed crazy. Uh, it,
1: it's I, sketchy.
3: I uh, I watched my first Grand Prix there when in mm-hmm. I was in '58 when Rene Barton won and he won the World Championship that year. Maybe that's what made the special also for me. Mm-hmm. I had ridden my uh, my bicycle to 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 that place and it was about uh, 50 miles from my house. You rode
0: 50 miles on your bicycle.
3: Yeah, and uh, was that your woman? Did up? you
0: pack a snack?
3: Uh, no, I don't even. You just hit in and out on the way, man. <laughs> yeah. Double double. But uh, double. Uh, uh, that was really cool. So so happy to have seen a GP. You know, I, I still remember the the noise of the bike in the woods because there's a lot of big trees. The the echoes, echoes real loud. Echoes, yeah, yeah. and it's up. So the, all the walls and the citadel—it's—it's
1: it's insane. It's insane. I mean, I'm glad you got to go see it. I remember when I went there, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I remember how about that step down in the in the trees that guy yeah. started doing later in the years. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. It's literally like dropping off a three-four yeah, like story a cliff, a cliff. You just turn out of a blind bend. There's a few feet, and then you've just got to go for it. And then you cross a road,
3: like an asphalt road. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> like past you
3: the you pub. Cross, yeah, by the pub. <laughs> I remember that yeah. place. And then uh, I, in the U.S., I, I really liked uh, Unadilla. Mm. Unadilla was uh, because at that time it was completely natural mm. when when I raced. They they only raced at that time once a year. They would be yeah. the seventies, early eighties. Probably clog it? up I your radiator I so I if you I had. I should have brought some cool pictures. Then. I have some pictures from Unadilla. You cannot believe how rough the track was at the time. Oh. Or, or big ditches and We're gonna hold you
1: to it. We yeah, want to see these pictures. I would love we're to. Gonna, we're it. gonna get some pictures. and We're gonna show well, the people about you. We'll Nivella. post these
0: up on our social on Whiskey Throttle. Uh, what's our Instagram? At the at Whiskey Throttle Show. Uh, we'll post some of these up. if You send them to us. I'd love to. Twitter
1: see one. It. Twitter one's a tongue twister.
0: God, and then let uh, me get me started on the Twitter
3: one. Italy was uh, had some cool tracks. Also France had cool tracks, but Italy was special because the the fans were, uh, and still today when you race there, the fans are so into it. Yeah. You know they are they're very motorsport passionate. fanatics and they always like the uh, tracks with a lot of elevation change mm. and, and uh, some some cool tracks there like Fermo or Sanatoglia um, are there uh, any of those tracks that are still
1: around today I yeah. know you said Imola which is sort of Im- come back yeah it's come back and it's, it's not the same not,
3: exactly not the same track but it's the same yeah same region yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there is... chingoli is still around yes. but there was no no gp but anymore but and Fer- fermo is still around we went to chingoli uh.
0: what about your least favorite Is there a track you just hated
3: w- what i hated was uh, when the tracks were dusty it didn't matter what track if it was dusty i i, I really it really uh, pissed me off and <laughs> i i was I was the first one to to go complain to the promoter and trying to to do something about it. It's well, dangerous. Well, thankfully,
1: yeah. you didn't yeah. grow up racing in motocross in South Africa in the yeah. early nineties, because you would have hated every track. But <laughs> what a truck was in not in
3: use that the day. The <laughs> there was uh, one year in Namur was particularly bad. Uh, Ethelbrook in Luxembourg, one year was was really bad. Actually, the 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 year that uh, Dave Nichol Kurtz, Kurtz did, yep. the the year he won there. It was so bad. After the first guy, you could not see nothing. Mm. It was really bad. So literally, if we came down to the
1: keys to the moto, it was get the start. Yeah. Keys Otherwise, to the race. Yeah. get the start or you're screwed and yeah. you're screwed.
0: What What was your uh,
4: rivalry or interaction with Bob Hanna? Bob, um, yeah.
3: <laughs> Bob was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell by that there's, there's a little to this. <laughs> It's funny when a uh, uh, one year I came over and he had won I don't know 13 races in a row or something, and uh, he was waiting for me. <laughs> like literally? Yeah, he, uh, he, he was he was ready for me and we we were in a. I remember one one event was in Ohio, mid Ohio, uh-huh. and uh, we were staging to go on the track in in practice. You know, first lap of practice. And I'm one of the first guys to exit, and he's right there by me, you know. And I'm doing my, just my first lap to check the track, and he's coming and bumping me and <laughs> rubbing his front wheel against my leg, and, you know, I was... But uh, I, uh, it, it really helped me, because when I came over, it was after the European season was finished, you know, we had our, all our national races, our national championship, the world championship, and then I come over to the US, so by the way Bob was and the way he spoke and and all the the things he did, it helped me to get my motivation again, you know, and get yeah. going again for a new series, and uh, so he pissed you off, basically. He, he would
0: either like intimidate the hell out of you or piss you off, I right? I it sounded like he motivated
3: you. It, it motivated me and... Uh, but uh, Bob Bob was a uh, a tough racer, you know. He was really tough and and uh, he was fit, you know. Yeah. He, he he would not give up, and we had, you know, we only la- overlapped a, a couple two or three years, but yeah. we had some we had some good battles. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we have uh, a lot of respect for each other. Did you guys have any interaction off the
0: track? Ever getting into mm-hmm. any? No, yelling matches, no. arguments. Did he ever, I mean, he was notorious for lipping off. Yeah, and, he, he yeah. talked
3: a lot, but um, but uh, you you know, m- many times he backed it up. And so yeah, I, I he motivated me, but uh, you know, I had respect for him. And, and uh, <laughs> one <laughs> one thing, what he, uh, at at one of the races it was uh, St. Louis in Missouri. At that time, we were all in box vans, you know and uh oh step up now yeah all oh, right nice. and on the back door of his uh, v- uh van he had uh, a speed ball you know on, uh, speed a and speed bag that's punching ball, ball. Yeah. yeah and he had Suzuki had made this uh, life size uh, cutout for the dealers of me and he had <laughs> one of those <laughs> plastered behind <laughs> it you know on, on the van <laughs> and uh, and a lot of the fans came by, you know, in the pit, and they they look at Bob, and he was working out there. And <laughs> see, I remember that. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Bob Hanna. Yeah, but then, uh, then I, I when I was at Honda, we hired him uh, to to come and join our team, you know. And I have to say that Bob was a a real team player when once he came on our team, mm-hmm. and um, he was he was good to work with. A lot of times I feel like
1: competitors may not like each other when they race, but then when they get over the racing thing, they realize they have a lot in common or there's things they respect about each other because they've worked similar ways to get to that elite level. And you keep seeing that, so it's it's pretty cool. Well, Bob was
0: one of those guys, I think a lot like Bradshaw, where he just, for him, he had to hate everyone he raced against. He couldn't be buddies and go have a beer with you like, say, Fro and Jeremy. It was like he had to in his mind say that's the enemy, right? I mean, that was how he motivated himself.
3: Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: So after you're done yeah. racing, then it's like yeah. that's all gone.
3: Yeah, we, we you know, we be friends now, you yeah. know, and and and, uh, but he, Bob was, Bob was a real racer, you know. Yeah. He, he's He 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 was tough and. It, it you know to race against people like that uh, has a good feeling you know you, maybe you're pissed off at the moment but it brings the best out of you you know it makes you do better also and, yeah. and absolutely it, it's special to race against t- tough tough yeah. guys you know yeah yep. it, it makes it feel everything that you earned more rewarding I right.
1: think kind of
0: know? like similar to Heike Mikola right yeah. back in Europe yeah. I, it, they, to me they were kind of like similar yeah. uh, very intimidating pretty Pretty brash. Yeah. Bob was a little more outspoken and <laughs> obnoxious. Yes. But yeah. um, what's your what's your best memory? If you had to just take one memory with you from your racing career, would it be?
4: That's I realize a t- that's, that's a, a lot a yeah. to drop. from. That's a
3: tough one, but uh, I I think uh, overall it's just seeing the world and and the the opportunity it gave me to. To, to meet a lot of special people uh, and and the opportunity to have made a decent living at my hobby basically you know at uh, doing what I like to do and I uh, you know I'm an old man now but I, I still really enjoy what I do and 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 I feel really lucky yeah you know so
0: that's awesome um, all right I want to transition a little bit. Uh, going into your your Honda days, and I want to talk about what what was that decision like to step away from racing. I know it's tough for a lot of guys, and um, if you're able to stay in the sport like you did, that can help make that transition easier. What what was it that you made you say, "All right, I'm done racing"? Was there a, an incident or an event, or was it just like something that came
3: on on the off season? You said, "Ah, I'm good. I'm done." No, um, when I when I went to Honda. Um, they gave me the option to. They they gave me a, a three year deal, and they gave me the option to um, to race one or two years, and and then go on the management side. And uh, uh, I'm good friends also with uh, Eddie Merckx, the, bike, the bicycle racer. Yeah. And Eddie uh, Tour de France champion. Yeah, many, M- multiple many, times. Many, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's by by far the most successful bicycle racer ever you know yeah Uh, so Eddie uh, Eddie retired uh, a little bit before me I think it was 78 that he retired but I feel that he he waited a a year or two too long and I saw the struggle he went through uh, you know by by still trying to hang on still trying to hang on and 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 uh I, he he was not happy you know for a couple of years two two three years and it took a while for him to to get through it and so i i told myself i'm you know i cannot do that and uh but i i still i still enjoyed racing so much and and in when I got hired by Honda my main job was to be uh a development rider basically you know the developing the 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 prolink at the time oh yeah yeah and uh so the, we we had two young riders on the team we had the and uh, Graham Noyce. and Graham had won the the year before and uh so i i worked worked a lot on 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 suspension development on the bike and also on the engine but mostly on on the chassis and uh at the first race the first race I raced on Honda I was I was in Payern uh, in Switzerland Yep. and uh i was leading the race and the shock gave way and it stayed fully compressed and uh about three quarters into the race and
1: oh you guys had so the
3: same issue with Dungey <laughs> <laughs> that was a show <laughs> <laughs> i <I'm> just yeah <laughs> i had to throw yeah. that in there yeah. <laughs> but um so that put me back. You know, we we did not score a point in that race, and 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 I did more things, and and then I I was I was still competitive, and in then towards the end of the season, like the next to last race was the Belgium GP at Namur, and uh, at, at Namur uh, I had trouble with the throttle sticking. It was a big mud, uh, mud race. It rained a lot, and uh, the throttle was was completely that's stuck. That's not the place where you I watch was just, I was stick. just thinking in my head knowing that
1: place and uh, saying the throttle was stuck. That's yeah. the time I'd come by oh, and turn the fuel off or hit the switch. And right. there's structures. I mean, yeah, this is not More the place for your More Wavy it, mechanic. In yeah.
3: In that race, I should have won because I, I was a couple of seconds a lot faster on, on that track than than layup or anybody else. the
1: mur seems like a
3: track that if you're... Just dialed in. You can be yeah.
1: not half a second or a second, you can be yeah, two or three, three, four yeah. seconds quicker than the other guys.
3: It's yeah, there's something
1: about that place that I've seen and, uh,
3: great riders just kill it there. And uh, I knew how to set up my bike for that race, you know, and, and everything went good until that happened. And then the next race was the last GP of the season at uh, Ethelbrook in, uh, in uh, Luxembourg. And uh, the the championship by then was going to be between uh, uh, Lucky and uh, Malherbe, and uh, I was you know a teammate with Malherbe and friends also and uh, but I was also friends with with Brad oh really yeah I was with friends Brad stayed at my house the first year he was in Europe the, the, the oh he much told the, the me that yes that.
1: yes yes he actually mentioned that
3: Brad and, and Laurie and they were you know we, we were close so and the Honda guys, they told me, you cannot, you know, you need to help Andre win the championship. And uh, so I I, I went to them, and uh, I went to both of them separately and told them, listen, today, either, I, you know, you have to ride away from me or I'm going to ride away from you, you know. I'm not going to get involved in, uh, in the battle of the points between the two of you. And yeah, uh, fine, and... Uh, and then uh, I was able to win both motors easily, you know, going away. That makes it easy on here, like so you. So then, then uh, I'm on the we're on the podium, and then I started thinking, and and I, I said, ah, you know, maybe this is the best way to finish. I, go I out had, on top. Yeah. I had fast time in, in qualifying, fast, and, you know, easy win in both motors, and and uh, so I, I decided there. Okay, guys, you have seen my last race when I was on the podium. That you s- made the decision, yeah. right? Then, yeah.
1: But that—that that is actually kind of crazy when you think about it, because so many people, uh, to this day, in any sport, if they end that season that way, they're like, next year I'm coming back, I'm getting another title, I'm going to be better, fitter, stronger, faster. It this—it's it, a very select few that can literally. Uh, uh, I've—I uh, haven't heard too many people that. have... T- you I worked say, with another guy, my Ricky and Dungey.
0: Uh, Dungey when I mean, he went out after his championship. You obviously
1: wore off on them, but how? <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, it's just it's got to be some. I think for a lot of people, they would think, "How do you walk away when you just went and dominated and you just said it yeah. felt easy? How do you walk yeah. away when you f- when you're that
3: good? Like, it's, it, it's uh, crazy. It's it's difficult, but I, st- I. I well, you said, I said you saw get, Eddie, could, yeah, that's that's what. Do you think that Maybe. really helped that you decide? Helped I want to I the end side. on the good news. Yeah, good. It's yeah. A good note. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then and then uh, the the uh, panel was working for me at the time. He was my my mechanic, and then uh, we came back to the states, and the following week we were running the t- the team together. You know.
0: Wow! So they hired you kind of on the spot, as it. As no, I,
3: I I had a three year deal with Honda and. Okay. You know, they they knew that they wanted me in uh, in the bike development and and in uh, managing the the t- the team. And Dave became the the team manager, and I, I was uh, bike developer. I I, I was um, like uh, the team overall advisor and and still test rider. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of test riding, riding still. And and uh, Dave and I we complimented each other well. I thought we we got along good and. We did uh, we did a lot of crazy things at first with with Honda, you know, we cut off some frames and changed things and, and the Japanese would come and they go, What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> you, you how come you did not tell us? Well we have been asking for this for months, you know, and, and we just wanted to try it. But we, we actually uh both Dave and I, we, we developed a really good relationship with the top people in Japan uh, on the engineering side and the race team manager. the the big boss at that time in Japan was Mr. Miyakoshi, and at that time racing was run out of uh, on the R&D. There was no uh, no HRC yet. That was no. before HRC came about, and uh, and then we, you know, at the at the end of the year, they. There was talk about the nation and the U.S. couldn't put a team together, and then we had five riders. I said, to "Dave, at that time it was five riders for the team." Yeah. And then uh, Dave and I we talked. Uh, why don't we do it together? We take we take all our team, you know. And uh,
0: was that '81?
3: Yeah, that
0: was th- first year we yeah. won.
3: Yeah. yeah. And uh, then Dick Miller hmm. from uh, MXA, he, he uh, became supporting of it. The at that time, belray ray was was uh, quite uh, actively in uh, into motocross and all that. So they, uh Bell ray got uh, gave us support, and the guy uh, in Belgium that was the, the distributor and boss for belray Europe, uh, a guy by the name of Arthur Kuhn, he, he got all excited about it too, and and then you know, we were fortunate that we could win and put a, a string of many years uh, together. Many years. Many years. Yeah. Was it 13,
1: 13 in a row the yeah, first time around? Uh, right? Until England yeah, won in 94, yeah. right? Yeah. That was Roggenburg. Roggenburg. When yeah. our friend Albertine hit a deer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I was a kid. That was a, wild a bit of a stalker was a wild fan show.
0: myself, but I, I watched racing. I always wondered this: was there ever any bitterness with Belgian fans or Belgian friends that you had that you weren't managing their team?
3: Um, actually, I had offered the Belgium team to 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 help them, and uh, they said, "No, we 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 are set, you know. And I don't know they they, they by then I I was already uh, spending a lot of time in the U.S. I was more in the U.S. than in in Belgium and. And uh, they um, they did not think they needed me, and they thought that they, they thought that there was no chance that we could win the nation, especially uh, at Lommel, you know, with uh, with five young young riders that had never been in Europe even. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that was coo- that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, was, uh, I
1: could imagine. Um, I think it'd be a lot tougher for them to go and try and win there
3: now. I mean. Well, we saw a little bit <laughs> this year, but... Yeah. It's yeah. been really tough the last... Uh, we had some bad luck. Like, uh, in Italy, we should have won. If uh, if it was yeah. not for the Japanese rider landing on uh, on Anderson, I, I think we would have won that day. Yeah. But what do
0: they call it when a, a Japanese guy, like, bombs on your head? I don't know. I don't want to go down that, after, that road. After, <laughs> after <laughs> the finish
3: line. Yeah, I after saw that. I just can't remember what
0: that's called. It's like a, I think there's a c- shot c- named after... C- Kamikaze pile. Karma. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, something. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, tell me about those years at Honda. That when when did HRC start? Eighty-two. And like, okay, so the very next year. Those Eighty-two was a good year. Those so years at Honda were just through the eighties.
3: Yeah, it was. It was
0: also special. we incredible. You guys had these just works of art <laughs> bikes. You had the best riders <laughs> on the planet. Uh, that had to just been a cool era to, to be a part of it.
3: Yeah, it it, it was a. Uh, it was good good and fun the the, the the boss of racing at that time Mr. Miyakoshi was uh, he, he was like um, like a dictator you know but he he wanted to win so bad he was always reading these uh, Chinese war war books and uh, about war strategy and all that and he, he equated racing like exactly like to war you know you have to have the same approach and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he was really good also at uh, getting budget for the for the race team. He, he he was good inside the company to 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 get what he needed. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, always important. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> nowadays everyone wants to make money, not spend it. Yeah, and and then, and then he expected a lot from from everybody on the team. You know, he he would I mean he would get so pissed off if something went wrong. Or so.
0: Was he? He didn't. Was he based out of the U.S. at American Honda? No, he, he yeah. was
3: based in Japan. But he came. He came over once in a while. And, and uh, I remember one one day, one race, he came to. It's after practice, and there's a spare bike under the tap be- behind the behind the van, you know. And he, he went. He went to look at it. It was actually Jim his bike, you know, uh, with uh, O'Mara. And there was a little bit of rust on uh, the pipes were not treated at that time it was just uh, bare metal, metal you know. And there was a little bit of rust between the frame, you know, uh, on the, the side of the, of the frame, pipe, yeah. you know, and on the pipe. And he, he threw such a fit, like <laughs> it was like scary. You know? Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. But uh, but then it after the race, and you won a race, and we had a party. He, he was. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was a Troy Lee of the party, just yeah, exactly made sure it went way way. wide <laughs> yeah. open. Yeah.
1: And when we say wide open, sometimes we literally mean there's something being held wide open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tro-
3: Tro- could, I'm sure Troy could give him a run for his money. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Troy
0: would fit in really good at the, the KTM parties. I've never seen people go so bananas as at those big KTM functions. <sighs> Yeah, they're, they're jumping
1: bikes in in a room this big. They'd set up a jump, and guys would jump off of a stage. Well, that kind of started in around 2000 when we just were given free reign. Well, they didn't lock the door to the production line, and we went and grabbed 50s with that much oil and that much gas, and we rode them till they seized, and we parked them and grabbed another one, and then it just became a thing. Yeah, but the Euros do love. I this, I feel like in in Europe, it's work hard. And then when it's time to cut off,
3: it's you go hard too. Yeah, and and you know as we go back in time, people had, it took more time. You know now, a lot of the riders today, as soon as the uh, as as soon as the race is over, they look yeah. the first flight. You know, and they and uh, some of it is because guys like Aldon also. You know, yeah, he doesn't let <laughs> you, know? you hang around. He Aldon is uh, so so strict with the guys that. Uh, you know, so, sometimes it's... I so I feel like sometimes it's a bit too much, but well, overall... We're you also know, you seeing Ryder's
1: career has been shortened, in my opinion. But it's, you can't argue with his track record but, either, though, but, right? I mean, yeah, that's the if, problem. If you
3: look, I think uh, if you take the last 18 years, 14 of them uh, uh, champions have come yeah. through, through him, you know.
0: That's staggering. Uh, so that's, that's not even realistic. Tell me about, you know, that Honda, that era. You guys were making things that I mean those were the era of really true works bikes. Yeah. Was there any, any was there anything that you guys developed that was super cool that we didn't get to see?
3: Well, I don't know. You probably heard about the automatic uh, bike. I have heard stories. And that bike was the, the there was some definitely some nice things about it. You you could do a like uh like a long corner slide, you know, and and You you always in the right gear, always in the right gear, and you would not have to stop and shift, and the bike do this, you know. Mm -hmm. So that that was cool.
0: Why didn't it? And why didn't that ever go further?
3: I think uh, cost of production, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, there was also um, a little bit of weight, Mm -hmm. and it was at the time supercross was becoming more and more important already, and you know it was supercross was probably the least. Necessary yeah. for
1: a yeah. I was going to say an automatic. I could only imagine going off a triple face. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah, ball. Bob, Bob. It shift uh, three quarters of the way
1: up the face.
3: Uh, we had a, a one two five with a rotary valve, but instead of the rotary valve being on the on the same axis as the crankshaft, it was between the transmission and the and the cylinder, so there was a, a, a bevel gear, drive driving it from from the crankshaft and. The, if this is the engine, the 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 disc, the rotary disc would turn this, this way. This way.
0: What was the benefit of that? Uh, gyroscopic.
3: The, the, uh, no, the the width of the engine because if you have the oh yes, yeah, so it makes it if, if, more if, streamlined, right? Yeah, and and it the, the it was the intake was going into the middle of the engine. Mm. You know, instead of all from one side, and then if you have it on one side, you had the carburetor sticking out, or you needed a uh, elbow boot, yeah and and then you lose you lose power because of that because of the airflow airflow mm.
1: ram wow. A is the best direct
3: flow that's crazy um was there any we also had uh, two cylinder you know bike, two cylinder motocross bike one two five. Oh, we yeah? we tested that Yucca Valley uh, on that bike and and
0: again weight was probably the issue
3: it it was really fast but uh not not so good on traction and and not a not good bottom end, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was one of those took a little while to huh. wind up almost. Yeah. Like it, a big bang was engine. T- t- top power was, was impressive for the time.
0: Like on a dyno, it probably screamed, huh?
3: Yeah. Then we had a double Pro-Link also
0: at some point. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Was there ever any riders on that team that you wanted to get that you didn't? Uh, Yeah.
3: There was... Uh, uh, Bar- uh Barnett. Barnett. Yeah Barnett. The bomber. Yeah bomber, the Bomber we tried to get him in the in in the early days. But uh then uh, uh Bob Bob actually talked to 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 Hannah and said hey I, I have a, I, I have an offer from uh, Honda but uh Suzuki's and they they really want to keep me and Bob don't oh, know oh just go back and ask him for a million dollars <laughs> you know <laughs> And uh, and then uh, Tosh accepted it. He he took it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But we tried. Like
0: damn it, I should have asked him for
3: that. <laughs> we we tried hard to 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 get Burnett. Huh. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Seems like you guys had every top rider you could have. But yeah, I guess Mark was the one that. Yeah. One that got away.
3: And, um, and we we tried with Worthy also, but Arnold and I we we felt that that we should not push too much uh, uh, with Wadi because we felt that he was really uh, a Kawasaki kid, you know, mm-hmm. and we wanted to have a little bit of it, uh, ethic, uh, uh respect. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah.
0: etiquette there between yeah. between teams. That is interesting, too, because depending on when you hire a guy and sort of how that plays out, it can look like... It can go bad for the manufacturer, right? Yeah. It can look like, well, you just bought the best guy. Right. Kind of like when these... It's uh, you know, the basketball team just hires all the best players.
1: People get pissed that they're winning. It's like, well, well, well if he can do it, why not? Yeah. I mean, at at some point, I mean, you know, not. But it can be bad PR for a team. Uh, you know, yeah. there's always a risk. I mean, it. you know, you went through that with 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 Carmichael. I mean, you know, when you were at Suzuki, I, that's a risk when you got yeah. a guy that's expected to win.
3: Yeah.
1: The bar is here. You know, guess what? There's a lot more chance if he doesn't do quite. I mean. Even Jeremy, you know, MC yeah. in the 90s, when he made the switch from Honda, I think that at that time, not saying the Suzuki wasn't that good, but because of what happened with Jeremy, I think it sort of made people think, ooh, is the Suzuki it really it that
3: good? It pushed us back and, you know, Jeremy should, should have won, you know. Jeremy... It was really, really close on several occasions. Ge- it Ge- seemed like so bad luck that year. It was not just bad luck. It, it was there was more to it than bad luck there was um well first of all jeremy i got a call from jeremy like i, I think it was the 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 day it was either the day before or the day after christmas he said, I, I remember I hearing have, it
1: was right around that time
3: I, I have some uh, some issues you know with with uh, with the honda guys they uh you know i i don't want to stay there can can you get can you fit me in and i said shoot <laughs> you know this is an opportunity you know that doesn't come miss. knocking very and often uh, yeah and uh i i i knew I knew jeremy well because we uh, we were the ones dave and i were the ones that took him and then gave him to Mitch you know and, he did the, that's the year we put the the, the one to five outside and Mitch did the the peak team. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with, with him, we worked with him and Swink and you know, at semi at Simi Valley on the test strike and all that and we saw firsthand how, how good that Jeremy was and, and then, you know, he had all the success with, with with Honda later on. Then when he wanted to come our way, I said I have to find a way, you know, but you you can imagine with the Japanese company asking them the week before the first race to sign this new guy. Yeah, seven
0: figures probably of bonus
4: actually, pay.
3: Actually, Jeremy was really reasonable in, in the, gotta, in the financial. But you bikes yeah. and
1: mechanics, yeah. lack of testing.
3: So I didn't even have a bike, so I told Ian, I said, uh, <laughs> can
1: Ian you, Harrison.
3: Can, yeah. yeah. Can can you uh, get Greg's bike ready? for uh, for for uh the day after new year. And uh, so that now there's five days, you know. well who is it for? I cannot tell you. Um uh, so the the day before we go to Germany, he had a little track by, right by his house of yep. the fifteen of that. the 250th. 215, yeah. And uh so he prepared the bike. We went there and uh, Jeremy rode it. And we made the deal. And uh, he started... But then Jeremy and and, uh, and Jack, they wanted uh, Wyatt to be the mechanic. Wyatt Seals. Wyatt yep. Seals. And uh, we really didn't want that, but, but we didn't want to lose the opportunity of getting Jeremy. So we went along with it. And then... In the season, the season was barely gone, going and then uh, he he falls madly in love, Wyatt. and all he could think about is was go to see his girlfriend and he would show a plate. The bike would not be done. we had to have somebody else walk on the bike. There were so mistakes on so many mistakes on the bike, Ian and I we were so scared to 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 watch Jeremy, uh, you know, things would fall off the bike. Plastic would fall off sometimes, and during practice and things like that. And, and Jeremy wasn't.
0: Did he know about mm. all this stuff?
3: He, I don't know. I, I, they believe so much in, in Wired that they uh, until a certain point. Then we got his old mechanic back. Um, who who was his name again? Uh, Rand, not Randy, was it? No, no, not Randy. Before Randy. Bigger guy. I skip? Skip. Oh, skip, yeah, yeah, not skip. okay. And then finally we brought in Skip, we convinced Jeremy, hey, this cannot go on anymore. You know, your guy is somewhere else, it's, you know, you're going to get hurt with this thing. And then uh, when Skip, when Skip starts walking on the bike, he found out that on the, the, the clutch actuator, these two bearings, that on the little shaft that goes into the engine mm-hmm. that pushes the cam, you yeah. know, and he only had put one in it, so we could not figure how. to, We would go to practice with him with a practice bike, and the clutch would work perfect. And his race bike, he would always have some complaint, you know, that the clutch would not disengage completely. That's one thing. Then the next thing he found out is he always wanted to use some adapt some Honda pairs and he used Honda throttle cable. <laughs> then one day he comes and hey come and look at this. Is this normal? And totally is wide open, on the on the on the grip, and the uh, the slide is only three quarters it's wide open. It's not all the way open.
0: Oh my gosh! This is Skip who found this. N-
3: this Skip found found this because <coughs> Wyatt was the guy working on the bike, and we would be on the dyno and all that. Ian Ian uh, he helped a lot on 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 the bike and. We we made good power. We spent a lot of time at Mitch and the, the bike had good power. But his race bike was never the same as the practice bike that we tested with also. So because at what point in the season did you guys bring Skip on? About halfway? A little bit past halfway. And then, on, t- and then on top of that, in, uh, in Charlotte, Jeremy had a flat tire. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, at the party, Jamie stepped in a broken, broken glass bottle yep. and cut his heel yeah, open pretty bad. That. So, and it was we, like the worst injury of his career. And we, we <laughs> cut yeah. your foot on a beer bottle. And and we lost the championship by seven points.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that about uh, his his uh, race bike issues. Yeah, I'm sure you guys were trying to keep that quiet for obvious reasons. Yeah, we, we,
3: this is actually the first time I say it openly. And. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wyatt oh, seals, yeah, yeah. Hey, right,
0: okay. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here on the Whiskey Throttle Show first, folks. Blowing Wyatt seals out of the water. <laughs> no, he's a great Wyatt, guy. Wyatt, Wyatt and all Wyatt of the seals. He was distracted. Many a good girls, man we has gone down. Pussy whipped. Yeah, I mean, once, Goals, you, get, once you, know. you get PW'd, um,
1: yeah. yeah, A lot of guys. Yeah. It's like it's like. Duh.
3: See what you girls do to us. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs>
0: Many a good man has gone down
1: from yeah. a woman. Yeah. It's
0: like the Titanic. All right, that's that's a crazy story. Um, I want to ask if you've got
1: uh, a good Ron Lachine story. Gee. besides getting arrested in Japan. I mean, yeah, we well, all know there's that There's a
3: lot of them, but uh, there was one of the nations in uh, in uh, France. And, uh so it was. Uh, what year we, is this? I, I think it was uh, 80. To think when he was 86 85? or uh, 86, it, was, uh, it was a French one. Um, he was on a 125? At Ville, Ville, uh, Villers-Sous-Echo. Villers-Sous-Echo. I remember the track. And We stayed at this uh, little motel and there is, uh, across the parking lot, there is the restaurant. I tell the guys, okay, we we gonna have dinner. It's Friday night now. Uh, now Saturday night. On Friday, for some reason, he, he he missed our group. I said, Saturday, you you better be ready for dinner with the team tonight. huh? And uh, yeah, yeah, no problem. We we all in the restaurant. We already order food. They already start bringing food. No, Ronnie. So I go. I go to the hotel. Go knock on his room. No, no answer. That's weird, you know. Where where can he go? He didn't have a car or anything. And uh, so I go back to the restaurant. Ask around. Nobody has seen Ronnie. Go back to knock on the door again on his room. So finally he opens. He opens and there was by the, the night table by the bed, bunch of uh, empty beer bottles. <laughs> Other side of the room more beer bottles. I said, Ronnie, what the fuck are you doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to have you're supposed to be at the at dinner. What are you doing here? Oh the I'll be there. Just a second. I'll be <laughs> there. I'll be there. So finally he shows up. We we all in and uh, RJ and I, we, we threatened him that we're going to kill him if he is not <laughs> ready for the next day. Yeah. You know? So, we, we are just about done with dinner, about ready to leave. And all of a sudden, no Ronnie. Ronnie is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I come out, cross the parking lot, and there's this car come. And I see it's Ronnie in the car. With a with a, uh lady, a girl dr- driving a car, and there's Ronnie. and I stop the, c- you know, go in front of the car, stop them. What the hell are you doing? You know. Oh, Adi, don't don't worry, it will be a few minutes. You know, I I'll, I'll be back. You know <laughs> and that. And, and it'll, uh, be l- it'll be less than two minutes. <laughs> <yeah>. So <laughs> quicker than my lap time. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then. Uh, and then the next day, unbelievably, he rode like a champ. He, he's, we, we told him, Ronnie, you're dead if you if you screw up the team, you know. And we had been winning, you know, every yeah. year since since 81. And then, but he he, he rode unbelievably good. <laughs>
0: Have you ever seen a guy that could do that? I mean, just the shenanigans he'd pull and then just deliver <laughs> on race day.
3: Yeah, he, he, he couldn't always do it, but he did it more than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. He did it also at uh, when they, they we had the Supercross at um, at uh, uh, we only raced there, there one time at one a couple times at uh, in Pasadena. Oh, the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Huh. yeah. Um, Probably he just liked the the name or something. Yeah. Like, oh, well, rose ball. I want to win. Yeah, give it a rose. Yeah, yeah. He,
3: he had this huge cut on his on his uh, thumb, right where you know you hold on the handlebar. And yeah. it, it you could actually see the bone. Mm. And I said, Ronnie, take care of these things. You need to tape that better. You know, I'll be okay, Eddie. I'll be okay. And that <laughs> he, he wrote like he had nothing wrong. So the thing was nasty. Say he was like the original Ronnie Mac.
1: Just didn't care. But he was
0: winning races. That's the only difference. Uh, Anything that you... um, What are your thoughts on the production rule of 86? I know in terms of manufacturing and race teams, that was huge. Uh, It affected Rick Johnson's move. You know, He came to Honda knowing that that was coming in and thinking maybe that was a better move for his career, which probably proved to be true. Uh, did that really change things as a manager for you?
3: It it changed things for me because uh, uh, Honda at that time asked me to spend to be more in the U.S. Before that, I was going back and forth all the time. I was going to the G.P.s to work with uh, with Andre and and uh, and, and uh right. Romans and Noise, and uh, I was basically every other week I, w- I would go to Europe and back to the U.S. back and forth and back and forth, and then. Uh, uh, then they asked me to to be based full time in in the u s and and only go to europe you know once in a while, so that was a big chance and then I got involved with the testing of of the production bike because we we knew we were gonna have to to race the following year and uh the as a race team we were really really against it we we, we really got bummed out you know mm-hmm. you know we had the, in eighty five we had those beautiful bikes with the low gas tank and, yeah. and they were really, you know... Top Coolest top. looking yeah. bikes still yeah. ever yeah. built,
1: I would say. For, for the time, it made a lot of yeah. people huge Honda fans. Like yeah. my dad, when you know, when I was a
3: kid, he was
1: yeah. he was a Honda fan for yeah. multiple yeah. reasons. And Everything that was one on of that
3: them. bike was so nicely detailed and, and, you know, there was a lot of thought putting, mm-hmm. put into every bolt, every screw on on that bike and then uh at first the production bike the the, the guy in charge of production was a really difficult guy to to deal with and uh, there's always one you know, prick we, in we every group we <laughs> so feel uh, we we really we really Dave and I we had so many many arguments and fights with those guys and and um and then it became things became they made a, a, a good bike, our, our bike ended up being good, and we still kept winning and all that, but it um, it made the production bike more expensive also, and, and uh, the race bike not as cool, you know? Yeah.
0: Do you guys feel like you went backwards in performance if you took your 85 race
4: bike? For sure. You, for yeah. For sure. For
3: sure, yeah. Wow. Sure. They did a good job with the production bike, but uh, that... that like from from eighty two, eighty two to to eighty five, that that product that uh, factory bike was they, they were unreal. Yeah, you know. So,
1: I've 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 thought about this a little bit. I was a kid, from, you know, grew up in South Africa where we rode what we were given. If something broke, if your handlebars broke, you maybe took something of your BMX bike or you, you made it happen. You know, yeah. especially if you weren't you know wealthy. Um, Going to Europe and then being on a factory team like ATM and winning the World Championship, I remember just thinking how incredible the change was from that production to a factory bike. In Europe, that was allowed, but but in America, they have that production rule. And from what it sounds like, it's almost like they implemented it at that time and it's never really changed. I have my opinion, but what do you think in in your eyes, you know, you talk about the coolness and, and this and that, they say the production rule is to help the privateers or the, or the little guys. And I've always said, you know what, the big guys on the big teams with the big budgets, they're going to win anyway. You can help the little guys, it doesn't really help. Do you think the production rule has really helped the little guys or helped the sport or do you think it's taken away from the... The, the sort of F1 factor or the MotoGP factor of our sport because...
0: Well, he just said it made the production bike more expensive, so right there, that's... Well, yeah.
1: well straight away, that, but that's to the consumer, yeah. which, which is right. a good point, you both said, but I'm saying from a racing standpoint, do you think it took a little bit away from separating it from... You know, a guy on the street goes, that's my bike, but wow, look at that.
3: Yeah, the, the, the definitely the cool factor, you know, is diminished, uh, you know, diminished a lot. Um, and... It depends with what kind of people, you know. So some people, I I, I like to go see racing and cool race bike. I, I like to see them, look at the MotoGP bike and it's and it's unique uh, or a Formula One car. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, high end technology. I'm it's, with you on that one. I, for I'm sure. a fan of that also. And there's there's more people like me, but there's there's people that don't pay attention to that so much, you know. And but like I said, it, it made the production bike more expensive. But it made them a lot better, also. Yeah. And and for yeah, for the, the factory bikes, I don't think the 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 factory production-based bike. I don't think it made them a lot cheaper because now you have to walk around the rules, mm-hmm. and and you know you you are spending more it, money to get it, it, those it. incremental
0: changes and improvements,
1: huh?
3: So it's almost like NASCAR, in my opinion. There's some pluses and minuses, you know.
1: Mm. You know, with but NASCAR, they try to keep these rules to keep everyone the same, but you've got teams spending hundreds of millions on a you know, a wind yeah. tunnel change or something to gain a hundredth of a second. It's it's still the same sort of yeah. the big guys will succeed
3: more than the little guys, which comes back to the big guys get the drivers or the riders they need. But but as, as far as uh, results, uh, who wins and who doesn't win, I don't think it has changed anything because the… Uh Cream rises to the top. Yeah, the top guys. Uh, motocross is still motocross, Supercross is still so much about the rider that you know. I, uh, I it would be extremely difficult to make a bike that that is so much better that yeah mm. you know that a secondary rider could win with it and be, right. and be the best guys on on on, on yeah, the bike that happy. is not quite the best.
0: Yeah. Tell
3: me about why the switch to Suzuki
0: and how that came about.
3: Um, at Honda, you know, for, for a long time, Dave and I were directly in communication with uh, with Japan. We we did not have to do anything through American Honda uh, other than dealing with the photo shoot and, and uh, the, the press PR requirements. Every, anything about the bike was... We, we communicated directly with Japan and we were able to get a Japanese guy as our liaison. Uh, his name was Mr. Kazuka. And we we were able to make him the the middleman between us. So what we did not could not express in Japanese or or in, in English that the Japanese understood. He was the guy, and we would tell him something, and the guy was really cool. He would run with it and fight for f- like hell for to get what we had requested. You know, yeah. and, uh, and that was a really good combination. And then a little um, like a, a year or two after the production bull came. We uh, they uh, they changed the channel and we started having to go through through American Honda stuff for everything, and and then the communication was not the same anymore. It was becoming more and more difficult. And and after uh, after a couple of years of t- two three years of that, I I was getting so frustrated and all that. And when I stopped racing, I walked. 13 years straight with Honda and never took a vacation or, you know, I took a day off here and there, but I never took a break from racing Mm -hmm. uh, after I stopped racing myself. And uh, I thought, you know, I I don't want to put up with this, I I, I need a break, you know. Mm. And uh, so I I traveled to to, to Europe uh, back and forth quite a bit and spent some time with friends and did some things I had not done for a long time and and then, uh, then Suzuki, uh, I, I got contacted by Sylvan, who I was good friends with, and he runs Suzuki in Europe. And Sylvan asked, I, you know, you need to come back uh, to Suzuki. They need your help in in the U.S. to to get going again, and and they they want to to, to talk to you. And, and and at first, I I, I was not so interested. <coughs> and, then uh, they asked me, well, come, come to Japan and uh, come to the factory, you know, come and see us, we want to talk to you. And uh, So I went to Japan and we got in this meeting room at the factory and, and they brought all the guys that had worked with me when I was racing for them, like the, the team manager from the time, the, the the mechanics that had worked for me when I won the championship and, and so there was like about 15 people in, in the room and... And it it was it was a really cool feeling. And and Roger, son, we need you. And 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 they were and, giving and you the then, full court press. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and, uh, and then S- Sylvain kept pushing on the other hand, and and then uh, S- Sylvain said, you know, that he had at the time he was talking to um, to Albertine that had won the championship on the Honda. And uh, Honda had promised him some things, and and they did not come true. Like they had promised, uh, and um, and then um, he asked, you know, uh, if you if you do this, so he wants to go, his dream is to come to the U.S. If we do this, he races in Europe one or two years, and then he comes with you in the U.S. You know, and then I ended up taking that deal and. Uh, And then that's how Albert got here and uh, how I got back to Suzuki.
0: Yeah. And you had a lot of success there. And it seems like from Honda, Suzuki, and then when you went to KTM, the the key to that success was a good direct link back to the factory. Like you were saying at Honda, when you started having to go through all these channels, it slows down your improvement. But when you can just talk directly with Japan and say, hey, this is what I need, and they do it, you guys were able to make really big gains and... and, uh, that w- translated into titles everywhere you went. Yeah. Um, those early years at Suzuki were a little tough, though, <laughs> getting that bike right.
3: Well, <laughs> when I, when I came to Suzuki, I made back to Suzuki, I went to. Then uh, by then they were in Brea, and uh, I asked them, uh, okay, where's the, where's the workshop? You know, where's the race shop? <laughs> <laughs> we we. We don't have a race really shop yet, but we're going to get one, you know. So we walked in the parking lot at uh, the first year. And we uh, they they had a department where they took uh, care of the magazine bikes and, and uh, a little bit of testing with um, uh, Tosh and, and, and all that when they had some new products coming in. The Marine Division was there also, and... But we had no, we had no workshop.
0: Yeah, in, I remember in, you guys being at Pro Circuit quite a bit,
3: and I remember. Yeah, it, um, and then uh, I made a deal with Mitch, so we could work with him on the, on the dyno, and 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 uh, I spent a lot of time there at, at Mitch on the 250, and uh, and at uh, Bill's pipe for the 125. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember those days well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that might ring a bell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bills. Well,
0: that was the little bit I worked with with you um my time there at Bills Pipes and had a couple good races and one good run at that championship and yeah. Rough uh, rough round in Minnesota kind of knocked me out but um how how significant was it for you getting Carmichael under th- under the tent
3: there? Of course it was it was you know an awesome opportunity. It was kind of a second chance at uh, what had happened with uh, with uh, Jeremy. You know? I, I was just, about, similar, I was just about to, similar to say similar chance. situation yeah. Yeah. where yeah, very similar. He, he got cross head uh, with uh, with some of the management at Honda, and uh, the, it, it did not happen as as late, and it did not happen as suddenly and quickly. Yeah, he made a decision. You, you huh? know, he, he, it it was a much Earlier decision, and and we talked about it. Uh, the first time I, I I talked to him about it was at uh, at, uh, at uh, Daytona Supercross. It's was pretty the, early, uh, yeah. So it was pretty early. That's the first time we really talked about a possibility to to join us. So we had with with uh, with him, we had time to prepare. You know. With, with Jeremy, we uh, we had basically betwe- between uh, Christmas and New Year. Yeah. He had
0: like a week and a half or something crazy, huh? Yeah, less than that. No yeah, less, less
3: I was going to say. That thing. What's that? About five days.
1: But now, you know, you talk about that, and, 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 and I'm just someone that looks at things that seem to repeat themselves. And this is my opinion. Do you think Honda were drinking maybe too much of their own Kool-Aid after your guys' dominance, because to me it seemed like after the 80s, in the 90s, that's when you started seeing things change a little bit in the latter night, You know, Jeremy had his issues. Um, like you said, Carmichael, he, from what I've heard from him, he wanted to leave Honda. Valentino Rossi, you know, different, different sport, but he wanted to leave Honda. Is it, like, I feel like there's this... You know, they got to the top together, and then once they got to the top, it seemed like relationships didn't end or follow through. Is there something that maybe you could help us?
3: You know, it, it uh, every company, you know, there is. Uh, if, if you win a lot, the the tendency is to think that uh, you know you have it all figured out, and and it's and the bike, and not and the rider, uh, maybe. Yeah, and 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 it works the other way also. If a rider wins a lot, they think that. It's all them and the nothing the to do with the, the bike. The yeah, yeah. nothing to do with the bike or with the team. You can go know? in anywhere. Yeah, so there's a little bit of both. And and Honda is a is is a, is a big company, and and uh, you know a lot of people that get involved in, in management and not necessarily knowledgeable of uh, what it takes to win races and what motivates people and and. Uh, if you're part of a, a big organization and a successful company like Honda, it's it's easy to, um, I think, to um, to to be become overconfident. Also, yeah. well,
1: those are also names that,
3: that that I mentioned. that were,
1: <laughs> let's let's just say they they were. I don't want to say big egos, but they were big personalities at their time in their sport. Do you think yeah. maybe it was a little bit of a battle of like. Honda were like, no, we're the big guy. And the rider or the athlete was saying, no, wait a minute, I'm the big guy. Do you think it was maybe it got to a point where the guys that were the best riding for Honda, maybe it was a little
3: you tension know, of who, who actually was the superstar? Probably, you know, as as a, as a rider, with a, you know, a, any good rider, any top rider who wants, wants to feel wanted and, and wants to feel... A certain for importance, sure, sure, you know, yeah. and, and, if, if, if you manage a team and, and you don't realize that, then that, that's a pretty basic uh, rule, you know, that, yeah. that you should respect, but, uh, you know, at uh, there, there was fantastic people at Suzuki and, and I got frustrated with them because management ch- changes so many times and, 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 uh, you know, then they put somebody in charge that have no clue about what it takes for racing, and they only look at what they did in the past and think that they can repeat it, but without having any knowledge of what it takes. You know, at, at Suzuki we had a uh, we had a team manager in 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 the mid seventies that was a fantastic guy. You know, smart, hard worker. Uh, his name was uh, Mister Uchi. At Honda we had. Uh, Mr. Miyakoshi that was very similar in, in personality and, you know, guys that they they knew, they wanted to fight, they worked hard. And uh, I think w- with Honda, when when they, uh, when they Mr. Honda, when he passed away, I, I think it, it, uh, it took away something from the company also, you know, because he, he was such a... Was a driving force. Yeah, over there, such huh? a driving force. Such, so racing minded, so technology minded, and, and uh, um, he, you know, he, he wanted to 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 win, and he he, uh, he always kept the motorcycle as the foundation of the company. He never wanted to forget about that. Yeah, mm. as they say in America, it's staying true to your roots. Yeah.
0: I have a question. This got sent to us uh, on our Instagram page, and I thought it was a, uh, just a great question. Uh, when, you're, when you were at Suzuki, hindsight being what it is, what would you have done differently with Travis Pastrana?
3: I tried everything, with Travis
4: <laughs> and, you know. Uh,
3: Whip it, I don't t- flip it. You know? <laughs> I, I tried everything. Uh, yeah, one, one year we were in uh, Minnesota on the national and. He he had several concussions. Uh, that was I uh, one uh, the When we were battling, and uh, he, um, you know, he, he he quit in the race. Basically, passed out riding. Basically, you know, and uh, after the race, we trying to talk to him and say, Travis, you need to take a rest. You need to take a break and all that, but they had a commitment for the next day to, to do a jump. You know, I, I think it was maybe San Francisco when in gravity did, games oh, back gravity then. games, and uh, so I said, "Promise me, don't go to the to the games. You know, don't go and do. You know, take take a rest and all that." And uh, his dad was there, Robert, and all that, and yeah, 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 and all that. Sure enough, two hours later, I found out they're on the way <laughs> driving there. You know. And, I think but, I remember seeing
1: an article where they had asked you if you knew and you had kind of vented
3: about the whole thing. Yeah, it was... But uh, Travis is such a cool person and, and and so loyal, you know. There's such a good side on the guy that yeah. he, he's... You couldn't get mad at, at him. It's so probably. hard to get to... <laughs> you can get mad at him, but he would just apologize and, and you know, he, he was always so super nice and... And it with Travis it was never about the money. It was you know, he wanted to and then he he, he made so so good money from ESPN with the the, the X games and all that that you know he, I don't know how much he made but he probably made more money than most everybody else. Oh he's I, I he's I, laughing in the bank right yeah, now. Yeah, no he's listen
0: uh, we we say, you know, I, I asked that question as though he was this unsuccessful racer. He made his own path, it just wasn't the right. traditional one. Right. And I would bet you it, He's probably made as much more money, much money, or more than guys winning titles today. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm not into his yeah. bank account, but that I'm natural pretty Starr- sure. thing. Yeah. He's,
1: uh, if you take an income through his career, I guarantee you, he's the highest grossing athlete of our of our industry. Yeah. It, it
0: was just so frustrating during that so. time because he was I so know.
3: good. There was so much uh, possibility, yeah. you know.
0: And you wanted to see him live up to that, and yeah. trust
1: me, I had to hear about all his possibility. When I came here, I, I was the one told I had no hope in hell of beating him. Yeah. And uh, that really starts mind, you yeah. know, weighing on your mind. Sure.
0: Um, all right. Well, that's that's that question. Uh, what <laughs> about Reedy there? I felt like he was a good fit at Suzuki, but he didn't last too long. He, he kind of came and went. Did he burn a bridge there or what happened? Because I would have said no. that he looked as good on that <laughs> Suzuki as he ever did.
3: He did. He did. And uh, I think he liked our team. But, uh he, uh, we paid him really, really well when he was at Suzuki. And for some reason, they they did not really want to, to, to negotiate for, you know. And um, the Steve was uh, mainly talking directly with Mel at that time about the finances. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they, it never even got close uh, to coming to, as far as I know, there was never really a a number and said, you know, if we take this, uh, we need this number. If if you offer that to us, we we stay. They, we we had the the nation, and he rode the Suzuki at the nations. And after the race, he was wearing a Monster head on the same day that he raced the Suzuki with, uh, with Rock, the with Rockstar.
0: Is that right? Uh, uh, so did he, did he? I mean, he's—he seems like he's got a history of kind of burning some bridges as he leaves. Was that his agent though?
1: Just negotiating? It, it, it,
3: yeah, it was. Um, it was uh, Steve that was negotiating with Mel on the on the financial Steve side. Steve Astafan, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I, I just always thought he looked so great on that bike. That would have <laughs> been a good place to stay.
3: It was his best outdoor season ever. Ever? Yeah. And, and he did okay, in pretty good in Supercross too, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so tell I th- me...
3: Th- I think he got third that year in Supercross. But he looked
0: good. Yeah. He, he didn't win the title. I can't remember who did, but he looked great on that bike.
3: Yeah. Our 09 was uh, Stu,
1: wasn't Stu, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Well, he was... Stu was amazing that year. 07 and 09.
0: Um, so you switched to KTM. Walk us through that. What happened there? And was that a big gamble for you? Suzuki was at least a... a a a team that you knew had a history and you had a history with. um, This seemed like more of a a reach.
3: Well, uh, I got frustrated with them again and and, it was in uh, 2010. We were leading, uh, um, we we had won Supercross. We were leading the outdoors. And I I did not have a new deal um, for the following year, for 2011. But uh at the year, year to the 2011 was in his contract, and he started asking me, "Hey, RD, uh, have they renewed your deal yet?" And No, you know. But I think I don't. I don't see a problem. I'm sure they're gonna talk about it. And after some time, and as the season was going further, I asked them, uh, "Hey, uh, I I want to know for." You know, the next year my my contract is finished at the end of this year, and uh, oh yeah, 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 we, we we'll talk about it. But they kept stalling and stalling and stalling, and then finally said, I said that you know I need to know. And uh, uh, they said, oh, yeah, we, we don't know yet. We we we're waiting for, you know, up management in Japan and all that, and. And I I used to be able to to go into Tanaka, Tanaka was the president at the time in in Brea, and I used to be able to walk in his office and if I had a problem, I did not abuse it, but if I had a problem, I I used to go see him. Now all of a sudden, he wouldn't even want to see me Mm. because he he didn't want to face me, you know? And uh, so finally I I told him, you know, I, I, I need an answer. And I, I still thought the the championship was almost finished, and then we were gonna go to, to Southwick, to uh, to the La, to be, we were gonna win the championship, and I thought maybe they're gonna come to Southwick and you know win celebrate, the championship and the celebrate thing, yeah. and make a new contract. So we we win and we win the championship, nothing, and. KTM had been asking me already several times before, and I always thought, oh, I'll, I'll never, I'll never work for KTM, and I, ne- I don't see myself there, you know. And, and, uh, but then, when that, when that happened, then they called me again. I said, well, you know, what do you have in mind, you know? And then I, I listened to what they they uh, had to say, and and then. Uh, it was very quick to, to come up with, a, with an offer and and then um, then I told Suzuki again and said hey you know I need to know or, or I'm going to be leaving and and then uh, I still could not then finally they made me an offer for 10 months and I thought that was, 10 months yeah I thought that was a slap in the face and, and then I I called the KTM back I said okay I'm coming
0: and Were you nervous about that? I mean, I, I know it's hard to look at it now. And, and just so
1: people know, he said Pit Pit buyer That was a you know GP winner. You know, he was like the bridesmaid or third many a time. But Pit Byer had uh, good credentials as a racer. He was known as the Pit Bull, uh, yeah. just hardworking German guy. He had a unfortunate incident in the GPs uh, or in while racing was paralyzed, moved into a role at KTM, and just just helping the people that don't understand that, but yeah. Pitt Byer was a guy that actually I watched race, looked up to, moved into a role, and then really started aligning good people with a company that was on the way up. So I'm just interjecting and trying yeah. to insert this, yeah. and then, so he called Roger, and that's where this went.
3: Yeah, and then uh, I... I knew it was not going to be easy. You know, at that time they never won a, uh, they never won in the in the open class, in in or in the 450 class, and they Well, yeah, going
0: back to that year, those bikes were not <laughs> super great. <laughs> no, They're no. Not you the had, bikes no. that you hey, have today.
1: How was Phoenix 02? two? did that work out for you? That didn't work out great. How was your year you on had, the 250? You, you had two bikes, two <laughs> by the time you left Phoenix. You went there with one <laughs> I and, went and with left with two. <laughs> yeah, that was a good
0: night. Yeah. <laughs> I did some math. Yeah, what so about you? That two fifty two stroke spit you over the bars. <laughs> I don't know a handful of times. <laughs> uh,
1: Thing it yeah. handled, handled
0: like a shopping cart. I was going
1: to say that's that's another show on its own, but <laughs> the, the 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 PDS didn't work in Supercross. Yeah, that's yeah, the short story. Yeah. And so you, he came a, along and yeah, no, it was better a little bit by the time you came in, but it still was not. Uh, yeah, so I um, you made some instrumental changes to the company. If we just. Cut to the story, you won't say that bluntly, but I know you made some really big... You said, I think yeah, we I, need to go here yeah, to be I, there.
3: I, I definitely, uh, when I came, <coughs> I said we need, we need this, this, and this. and You cracked your whip. They, uh, I, I met with the, the, the boss of R&D, um, Philippe Habsburg, and they told me, hey, but, but, uh, when when you meet with this guy, this guy is not uh, not easy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like most scientists, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a good guy. He's, he's very sharp. And the first thing I I wanted them to change was uh, was uh, this was some of the design on the swing arm and uh, and the rear axle. And uh, they they start questioning me and why why do you why this and we we think this swing arm is fine and this axle is fine and all that and you know they were arguing with a lot of things that I was asking then I asked him I said tell me how many supercross have you won and then there was big silence you know and Ian was with me Ian was he, he thought they were gonna kick us out <laughs> but. Uh, they 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 uh, came around and, and they did a lot of the things that we asked them to do and, and, and they did it really fast.
1: And that is well one I thing s- that KTM, I can say, I mean, I'm not that old. I've not been around a lo- nearly as long as you have. But KTM, to me, I think what's helped them in modern era over the Japanese is just what you just said. The fact that they could move quickly because they made a lot of quick changes when yeah. you went over there, and uh, it seemed like six months when you were there was like six years previously. Well, yeah, well they're we a much
0: smaller company than these Japanese brands, so they're able to make those quick changes, build these uh, half se- half-year bikes, the factory editions, like they do. And
1: well, that's I think what he helped <laughs> yeah, install,
3: well, really. But uh, we, you know, what uh, what is cool at KTM is uh, that. Uh, almost everybody rides. Mm. Almost They're passionate. Ever. Yeah. I, even, uh, even a lot of the girls that work in the office and all that, they, they ride for fun on the weekend or they ride a street bike or they, 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 they ride a trail bike or something. And It's amazing how many people there ride. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah
0: well, when it's a passion, uh, I mean, all those other big companies have cars and generators and marine and yeah. yada, yada, yada. KTM is bikes how quick
1: are you gonna get to work on your generator
0: i I don't (laughs) it's gonna take you a little while i don't make good time i I get to
1: listen to a lot of podcasts i was gonna say your phone will be fully charged but you're not gonna get there in a hurry
0: um and and just you know you've got now that you've kind of stepped out or sort of fill in a hole here you mentioned ian ian harrison came over with albie uh, at suzuki he was albie's mechanic at suzuki uh won a championship there um with you guys, was at Suzuki the whole time, came to KTM with you, has been there the whole time. Can I interject real quick? Worked for Dungey, and now he's taking the reins, for those who don't know, as a
1: new team manager. I have to ask, as a kid that grew up, huge Albatain fan, he was the guy that made us feel like a kid out of Africa could take on the world. You took him under your wing. I know there were frustrating times. Please just tell me, as in the summary... With Elby, like I said, was my idol, and my hero, and and someone that I know you worked with a long time. How did that all work? And at the end of the day, it worked out. But tell us a little bit about the the highs and the lows.
3: Yeah, he, um, you know the the beginning of Supercross was always uh, painful because <laughs> he ended up he ended up getting hurt, and Greg had a huge heart, and. and Everything was about commitment, you know. He he told me he he
1: thought maybe he came in a little bit cocky or arrogant. Like I'm a world champ, I can beat anyone.
3: He 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 definitely had that feeling that he could beat anybody. He he had uh, confidence. Was he was not lacking confidence? That's that's for sure. And you know there is a few times in Supercross that he should have won that he threw it away on the last lap or something, you know. That, but, I remember uh, a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh Greg was um was a really cool guy to work with and uh he uh, the the he should have won the year before even but uh again he also he fell in love the in uh mm-hmm. in in 98. There's a common thread 98. Here. 98, a common yeah. here. In 98 yeah. 98, yeah. Yeah, a little uh, whoops. Yeah. And uh he he was head over heels and because he should have won in in ninety eight, and then he, he he finally did the the following year. I, f- falling, I yeah. felt the pain with you, trust me. Yeah, yeah. I. I. But um, now Greg Greg was cool, and it was cool that he brought uh, Ian with him because he is one of the 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 best people in the industry. And yeah, I mean Ian Ian obviously was
1: uh, a huge. I mean. Greg's always said Ian's been a huge part of his career. Like he even said, you know, in Europe when he, he was a young, you know, teenager figuring it out, like Ian and him were like wingmen. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 to see the fact that they're still tight, and now where Ian's at in Europe, it, it, it's a funny story. You know, the old saying: there's certain people that come and go, and there's a lot of people that stay, and and it's 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 neat to see, but. I always wondered because with LB I felt like when he came here people were like he could win the nationals. Yeah. And it was win races, got hurt, crashed, made mistakes, did this. Next year won some race. It just seemed like a groundhog until he got there, which was which was one, great. One
3: year in Houston there was a quad and oh, I remember the crash. He, he, oh and he, he jumped he, off. He he decided to, to to try to do the quad and everybody was struggling doing the triple there and but he had so so much confidence in the, he bent the bike so hard that it broke the engine. <laughs> <laughs> it, I remember that crash. It, it broke the engine cases. Went like this and, and then jumped bike over, just, yeah. yeah. The, the only thing left on that motorcycle that was reusable was the rear wheel. Everything else was bent. Jeez. Everything.
0: My, the most memorable Albie crash, while well, we're talking about it for me, I think it was Orlando. He got off oh, to the side of the track and the he, gets, he gets bucked off the and bike. And he does that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's still one. And I got hurt that night. And uh, I'm mm-hmm. in the hospital. Swink comes in with a broken collarbone. Chad Pedersen comes in with a broken wrist. They come wheeling Albie in. It was like a party in the ER. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Every time they'd roll yeah. somebody else in.
1: The ER yeah, crew, like, was so what big? happened? We're like, <laughs> at Supercross race. <laughs> yeah, Can't move my legs, <laughs> but I'm good. That's standard
0: Supercross party. Um, well, listen, I, we, we've kept you a long time. I, I appreciate your time. I don't want to let you get home here, but... Um, Tell me about the new role you kind of slid into. I know it seems like you didn't want to just stay home and twiddle your thumbs, so you wanted to be around a little bit, doing something.
3: Yeah, I, I'm as busy as ever or more, and uh, <laughs> so the the and it's it's really not much different in in reality. It's it's more on paper, you know. I have responsibility now over. Uh, over both Husqvarna and KTM and also for the WP, our suspension uh, uh, company. Uh, so I have to sign a lot more... Uh, <laughs> paperwork. Uh, paperwork. Less uh, traveling? So are you going to be at all the races again? No, the okay. travel is not going to change and, and uh, it, it's just that I'll be a uh, little bit less in the workshop and, and, and more in the office, but... I, I'm trying to force myself not to to spend more than half a day. Once uh, the season starts, I, I plan half a day in the shop or at the other track and the other half a day in office. Okay. Yeah. So you're not retiring.
4: That's all a bunch of no. bullshit. No, no, I'm not all retiring. Right. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask because I've been told by people close to you that said, I, I, I asked, I said, I thought Roger was going to retire after he got KTM on the map again and you know this, this, and this. And people close to you have told me, work doesn't kill Roger. If Roger doesn't work, it'll kill him.
3: Yeah, that's that's the way I feel. <laughs> All right, yeah. so you answered the question. So it is true. Yeah. You are a workaholic. Yeah, I like what I do. and, and um, It keeps you alive. I, yeah, I, I, I
1: appreciate I, that. I think a lot of people can.
3: I, 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 mean, I, I love racing. Uh, and, um, you know, I like to be around competitive people and... and I, I like to see good racing and uh yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, We well, we we're, 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 we're pretty competitive. I mean, especially in like uh cornhole toss and all that so <laughs> yeah, If You well, want to get aggressive cornhole cornholing or whatever. <laughs> ping pong. We got you afterwards. Wow. we yeah. can get some three-wheelers
0: and do like uh pedal three-wheeler <laughs> races around here. We can battle.
1: Um, we'll get Troy involved. He might set off some fire extinguishers, maybe <laughs> I don't know, burn a hole <laughs> in the roof, who knows.
0: So, there's something that always, I always think about that I laugh. When I was managing Troy's team for the first year, and uh, I think it was my second weekend, maybe Phoenix or something, and uh, I'm up in the team manager's tower, and I'm kind of new to the etiquette. You know, you guys have all been up there for a while. You got it all figured out. And one of our guys, Chris Bloss, was up front in this heat race, and he's battling for the win. And I'm just excited. I was so excited. I got my shirt, yeah, sure. my arm out of my coat sleeve, and I'm swinging my sleeve like this as he's going by. And I look over at you, and you're just laughing at me. <laughs> you thought over, you're like, look at this rookie over here. You know, <laughs> calm down.
1: Yeah. I've been up in the tower uh, a few <laughs> races, but I g- kind of felt the same way. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's man. Like um, way overexcited. We're
0: not going to talk about the MXDN. We've beat that up to death um, everywhere about our shellacking this year. Well, hold
1: on. I do have a question, though. Go ahead. I mean, we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> everyone's laughing. Thank you, thank you. We've seen uh, the pendulum swing. We've seen the Europeans dominate. We've seen it kind of do this when you were involved, and then I feel like the pendulum. If we're talking motocross, purely motocross, yeah. I think the pendulum has swung.
3: Yeah, clearly, you know, that's, that's, and, that's and I don't just
1: mean just based on this year's donations. I I'm not saying Eli Tomac and Marvin and those guys are not good enough. I guess my question really is: With the Europeans focusing primarily or purely on motocross, supercross to me is a bit of a land point, squirt the gas, momentum, gear shifting. Do you really think that the that the motocross powerhouse is going back to Europe because that's what I
3: think yeah it's I may
1: offend a lot of people right it, now but it, I really think no, that's the way it's, it's, it's going it's that's it's obvious
3: true, and it's, and it's obvious you know but um, it, it also it, it it also is affected by the the type of tracks that um, we like this year, you know, the red butt was not a normal red butt, you know. Are you talking I mean, about the national or the, th- the, the nation? The nation. The, the, the nation red butt was very, very different, not only by weather. The amount of sand they brought in, yeah, yeah. I was there. And, and uh, it, it I, looked. I, I think, to the defense of our riders, they, they were going there with the mind that they were racing red butt. And it was the a lot different. Road, um, but it was like going to Europe, you know. That's exactly what I said. I said, this looks
1: way different. Yeah. But with that said, good riders need to be able to perform anywhere, anytime, place. You know, yeah. I mean, in the 90s, let's, let's just throw in McGrath. Supercross specialist went to Europe in European yeah. conditions and won in his category. Yeah. Like, that... Is a huge deal that that just solidifies but yourself as a racer. Period.
3: But the, in the in the eighties and part of the nineties, because of Supercross, uh, our riders had developed uh, more technique, you know. And um, now a lot of the Europeans have have learned about that. But th- them focusing all year round on on outdoors uh, and uh, with really fast tracks and all that. It it's very difficult for for an American-based rider that are so focused on Supercross and that don't race any of the Europeans until the end of the year one time and after a five-week break also when the Europeans race the week and
0: there, Well, there were some things that, like, we had... Our guys had never had to deal with that metal start grate with mud. We used it in Supercross, but... Pushing up to a muddy gate and figuring out how to keep your tires clean, how to clean that off—we'd never had to really deal with that. You can, I, I know you made a comment about you could turn your back to the track and tell when an American guy went by. Yeah, their RPMs are you know thousands of RPMs higher than a, you know the Europeans that go by, and it's lugging. That's those are little subtle things that I think just because no that. one
1: no one lugs in Supercross. I mean, in the whoops, that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You don't lug it anywhere else. You're right in the meat of the power yeah. and you set the bike and the gearing and the gearbox and everything. And I I mean, I, I know my dad said it at one point when I moved to the States and was really focusing on Supercross, he said, you've lost your corner speed. And that was the one thing that people complimented me on. I mean, we were teammates. And I mm-hmm. think you probably noticed that. But are we getting that point now where motocross... You've got America, which is supercross. I mean, I, I don't think you could say, oh, well, the Europeans will come and wax us on supercross. That, that'll, That's, I wouldn't say never happen, but it's not going to happen for many, 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 many years. But in motocross, I think it's taken away, and now it, we're on it's, this.
0: It's definitely dividing into two sports like this, where they're very different disciplines. That's and the it's, hard part. It's, it's like it's a, a, sales but guy it's and a flat different. track completely different. Yeah, it is.
1: Because you, you, you are one. I mean, Jeremy did the oh, I'm a Supercross guy, Reed's doing it now in his latter, later years. But for, for a normal guy, if someone came to you, if Cooper Webb came and said, hey, I want a Supercross-only contract, I would use, you wouldn't
3: say, okay. No, I, I, uh, I still think for, for our industry in the U.S., we need, we need to keep our doors uh, at a reasonable level, you know. Agreed. Agreed. Um, let me ask you one
0: question. The hell, where, where the hell are we going? Last question. <laughs> <laughs> what is so where is motocross, more? supercross going? I mean, electric, four-strokes. You've seen this swing in your lifetime of four-strokes to two-strokes. Now back to four-strokes. The electric movement has sort of been pushed in a little bit. Back to two-strokes. <laughs> where, <laughs> do where do you see it going?
3: I, I think uh, it would be good to to have more two-stroke classes at uh, the at, uh, – Lower level, amateur level, amateur level, even maybe pro level. Uh, the 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 big the main class, I think, needs to stay what it is, a four stroke. But it will not be bad to have a, a two fifty two stroke class or one two five two stroke class, even for pro riders.
0: Is that realistic or reasonable to ask of of the manufacturers that currently don't make those bikes anymore to say, hey, you need to bring these back. We need. Not uh, a price point uh, bike, but maybe an entry-level bike.
3: I, I think if, uh, if, you make the, if you organize the races, if the promoter makes the races, I think the, uh, it, it will come. Creates the th- th- They yeah. can yeah. manipulate it how they
0: want. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. Anything else you got to ask? I want to let this guy go. We've held him here
1: forever. He's going to start throwing punches at me. Um, just moving forward. Um, so you got your new job. How long are we going to see you around? I not meaning know. in life. I don't <laughs> want to ask that. I know that's a little too personable. As long as the guy you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep him around. But as long as, long as, as, as he keeps you around, are you just going to keep traveling?
3: As long as, uh, like I said, they keep me healthy and uh, that I can uh, hang with the, the younger guys and, and not, be, uh, not be a burden. And as long as I can help and make a difference, uh, I like what they do. And Well, I look forward to seeing you in first class next year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's got enough miles.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, I'll minds. pay for mine.
0: Roger, <laughs> anything you want to say to the fans <laughs> out
3: there? I um, I I I appreciate uh, a lot of the fans that um, you know the that enjoy the sport and that give me the um, the respect that they do and 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 I love. Um, have had the opportunity to, to, to work in this country and and uh, you have a great country and and uh, not everything is perfect but uh, there's a lot of good things here and uh, you, you should realize that uh, it is one of the best places in the world Amen. Amen Well said
0: Well Roger you're an absolute legend in our sport and I, I know I speak for everybody when I just say thank you for your passion for thank the you. sport your awesome. commitment to it Thank you and uh, thank awesome. you again for coming tonight thank you Roger DeCosta everybody yes. Thanks. Thanks. hang tight we're going to be right back we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll return to finish up the show All right, welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We got a couple things here to wrap the show up. Uh, The next segment we've got is our decal works last call. Now, uh, when I'm building our, one of the things I do at RacerX is build our garage build project bikes. Uh, Super nice perk of the job. Like I get to build these beautiful race bikes, ride them for the year, and then uh, turn them in all beat up. And uh, one of my go-tos when it comes to aesthetics is decal works, these guys are so dialed, you can tell them, give them a kind of a concept or an idea that you want, these colors, this kind of look, and they're on it, they, they hook it up. I mean, these guys are just money, professional, they're quick. Uh, and they also sell plastic. So if you don't want to go through the hassle of mounting the plastic, the graphics on the plastic, you just say, hey. If you're mounting plastics, you're doing something
1: wrong. But anyway, if you're yes. putting the graphics on the plastics you're right. is what you're saying. That's what I mean. That is an issue on you're its right. own. And I know that people do not like doing that. But mounting plastics is something that we don't <laughs> approve of on this show, <laughs> But Do
0: they do that in other countries? But I don't if know. if you want
1: to put graphics on the plastics, okay. yes, yes, those guys kill it. And... Um, I do know that when we have people order graphics through our store, they always say, oh, can you put it on? You tell them, oh, it's going to cost that much. Oh, bro, I could do it myself. We always say, please do, because it's going to be a bubble, and they're going to bitch and say, I don't want to pay for it. That's what we deal with at the shop all the time. Well, it's
0: hard not to make bubbles. It's hard. you got to be good at it, and these guys are good at it at Decal Works. You can buy the plastic. They'll mount your graphics onto the plastic, (laughs) send you the plastic, and all you've got to do is... Bolt on the plastic, okay. and it's ready to go. That's, that's where I'm headed with all that. Anyway, check out my guys at decalworks.com. They're dialed. You can buy one of the graphics kits that they have already made. Or, or mount it. Or custom build your own. It's kind of your call. Um, one more thing I want to touch on here before we move on is uh, the NBC Sports Gold Package this year. Have you heard about this? This thing's launched for Supercross this year. Similar to what they had at the Nationals last year, where you could buy the package, watch everything um, on demand, live, on, online. Uh, Seventy-four ninety-nine this year for to watch the entire Monster Energy Supercross season on demand, and you're getting everything all day long from the very free. first, very first timed qualifying, the beginning of the day, all the way
1: through the main events. Basically, also the, like the, the added bonuses, like just I know from the outdoors, you get behind-the-scenes stuff, extra stuff, and what's great is nowadays with the technology, you can put it on your big screen and your laptop, fast forward whatever you don't want to see, go, and then even if you miss it. You can just go and start it and...
0: Yeah, it's all on demand. You can, you can maneuver through it as you want to. That's what's nice. Uh, the Supercross schedule, there were kind of some people that weren't stoked on it when it came out. I think it was just bad. Inf- the way it was, the information was given was wrong. The delivery. The delivery was bad. Every race is going to be on NBC Sports, which is the second biggest sports network. A lot of people didn't have Sp- Fox Sports 1, 2, or 3, or whatever they had. It's like the Ocho but everybody's got NBC Sports, right? So you're going to be able to see these. There are a handful that are tape delayed, either later that day or the following day. Uh, just that's just one of those scheduling things that's tough. That's why this is great. The $74.99 not only gets you those additional time practices and all that stuff, but you can see everything live, uh, right, right when you want to watch it. Uh, so check that out. And then for an additional $15, you get the Nationals as well. So for 100 bucks, under 100 bucks, you're getting every single
1: Basically, every second of uh, everything that's going on all year It's long, pretty so. simple. If you're a Moto fan, you'll spend more than that going to a bar, drinking and watching and having dinner one night than you would for the whole season. So, put in mm. perspective. That's right. It. One night drinking, and you've
0: just spent that money. Dude. Sober up, you drunk bastards, and just buy the Supercross package. All right, we're going to get to the decal. Decal works last call. This is where we've got people, uh random people. I don't know these people. They're making prank calls, and we've got recordings of them. This is... uh I think Barry Goldberg. He's trying to buy a quad, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. All right. All right. All right, Donnie.
0: Let's hear this guy yeah, give I'm
1: it a whirl. G- glad it's Barry.
5: Order. Yes, hello. I'm looking for Joe. Yeah, how'd you help you? I've got calling about the quad you have on Craigslist here. It's I see a it looks like a Spider Man quad. Okay. Uh, I am calling. I, I'm very interested. I'm, I was looking at a motorcycle, but I, my, my balance is not that great. I thought, yeah, maybe four wheels, you know, is more my speed. But, uh, you know, I got a I budget. I'm on a budget here, and so I'm looking at this quad. I thought it's pretty good. Uh, what can you tell me more about it here? Um, are you planning on using it on the street? Well, you know, I, I see the guys popping wheelies and shit down the street, but I'm more about, like, maybe trails, you know, a little more low speed. I'm not crazy like that. Well, more trails, yeah. well, probably more dirt. It's not street legal, so it's for off-road use only. The one that we have is actually for kids. So I don't know if that's going to fit you. Well, I'm pretty small individual. I only 5'6". You know, I'm only 120 pounds. I probably fit on it just fine. What do you think? No, no I think it's going to be too small for you, man. Oh, no, this is terrible. You don't have anything for, like, a bigger adults? Well, uh, no, we only have kids uh eating these. Uh, these are made in China, I see. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you guys ship to Syosset? I mean, Syosset will be in New York. Oh, no. We only do in store pickups. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to drive all the way out there for this, and it's for a kid. I'm going to look ridiculous. You guys sell helmets with these? Yeah. Now, what about I come out there, you give me a ride around on it. I sit on your shoulders or something. We look silly. We go around this town. <laughs> no, love thanks, bro. We can't do that? Jump a curb? Come on, get a little crazy? No. Uh, come on, man. We put some tall bars on it. Your knees will fit under there. You look great. Oh, thanks, man. Well, you can sell me this thing or not. I mean, I am calling here. I'm trying. I'm, I'm like wheeling and dealing. You're not, you know, I, want, I want to buy this thing. You're like, no, don't buy it. It's too big. Uh-huh. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, just come in in person, man. I mean, for your sure, come in in person. All right. I well, I got this address here down there on 3rd Street. Yep. I just come ask for Joe. You give me a ride. We'll do two up on this thing. Kick some ass around L.A. Sounds good, huh? All right, bro. Hey, pop wheelies, there. Sizzle Chest. We'll see you later.
0: All right. Uh, well, that was uh, Barry, Barry Goldberg trying to get a sale there to R- get real, a quad. Real
1: good with a quad there.
0: <laughs> uh, popping wheelies and shit. All right. All uh, right. That jumps us into our Four Wheel Parts Get At Me Q&A session. Four Wheel Parts is the leader in off-road truck, Jeep, Sprinter, and UTV parts and service. If you've got any of those things, that's your place to go. Uh, Wheels, tires, suspension, tops, lift kits, bar steps, lights, winches, literally anything you would need as a UTV fan, someone with a Jeep, truck, Sprinter, you can get it there. You can also get Method Race wheels and Dunlop tires. So... Go to fourwheelparts.com, the number 4WheelParts.com, and check those guys out. Uh, Stoked to have them on board. That brings us to our Q&A, our 4WheelParts Get At Me Q&A session. These came in from our Twitter account. People had some questions. Donnie, what do we got on deck today?
2: Yeah, I got the first question from Randy at uh, Ranham84, and he said, uh, so which uh, 450-class rookie will you get the best single race finish out of, and which rookie will finish the highest in the points?
0: Gio, what do you think? Hmm. I'm, I'm gonna, to, you, want me to, you want me to go first?
1: Wait, I was I, trying to think. Is Justin Hill 450?
0: Yeah, you could call him a rookie. I mean, he did it some last year, but this would be his first full season. But I'm season. saying, yeah, full yeah, season. We're he's good. one of your guys. you got I, Zach Osborne. Uh, Savachi. Savace. Plessinger.
1: Plessinger. <sighs> well, you know what?
0: Plessinger had a, little, he had a little get-off, so I don't know oh. how fresh he's going to be. I'm going to say this right here. Your best finish all season is going to be for Savachi. Best finish. Best finish. I think that guy's got some. I think he fits that 450. He showed so much speed at the Monster Cup. I'm putting him in for our best finish. And I think your best overall result, highest in the standings, Zach Osborne. I think he's solid. He's consistent. Um, he I showed that he's with riding with well. The
1: Osborne part, but I think Plessing it gets the best result. What is it? Where do you think he's at? I mean, we've got a few. Podium? I think we've got a couple races back east. If the weather or certain elements come into play, I say uh, Plessinger wins. We'll wins a race? At least one. All right. I'd say he wins, wins one, Savarchi doesn't. Wow, that's big to say he's going to win one, huh? Yeah, I'd just like to All argue right. with you as well. Yeah, so, no, that's you know. good. Okay, that's good.
0: cool, cool. cool. I'm yeah. not putting any money on it, so it's fine. All right. If you win, you buy yourself a drink. How's that? All right. Well, that's where we're at. What else else we got?
2: All right. We got from... I'm uh, winning. (laughs) I'm winning. (laughs) We got from uh, at uh, Greeling. He wants to know, how often do you guys ride? And where is your favorite place to ride?
0: Uh, How often do I ride? Uh, Probably, what, three to four times a month? Uh, Just depends kind of how many bike tests
1: I... I just... Pretty much for me... Three to four times a month? Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard your oh, wife, wife say am lying. lying. No, uh, truly. Uh, no, that's literally what I was thinking. She said it. No, it's true. Listen, uh, maybe. Oh, you tell her you're going riding. <laughs> you just don't tell her what or who or where. No. Ooh, wow. Wow. Just that, I'm getting heckled. The worms are just flowing right now out of that can. Maybe
0: this time of year, there's a lot of new bikes. So I do a lot of bike oh, tests. Oh, average, He averages bikes. Huh? That's work. Hey, how many times do I go ride for fun? Truly, maybe once a month. Probably not even that.
2: Oh, for fun? He's averaging it out over the year. That's what he's doing. <laughs> it's amortized yeah. over yeah. 12 months. Yeah.
1: I ride I, I ride. Uh, just, I don't know. I, good uh, answer. I sound like Roger's, uh, when he talks about his dad, he's like, he's on it for a couple months, and then he's off, and then he's <laughs> on, and then I feel like I'm that way nowadays. I don't get paid to go and do it, so I'm like, I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do this. And then I get distracted by shiny things, and then yeah. I'm off. Do you know what I miss? I miss riding in the hills. Yes.
0: I don't ever get to do it anymore, because it, because it takes an entire day. I cannot get a porch pass from the better half for that long. It's usually like I can sneak out for a few hours, and that's it. But after it I rain, just saw you in the
2: hills oh. like two weeks ago.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. but that's not Beaumont or Retchy Canyon. That's okay. not like the hills.
1: Those are the okay. There's this. There's, there's Hill. hills, and then there's. Hills, the yes, fo- the foothills. He's like, yeah. those are yeah,
0: hills. Okay. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. All right, what else we got?
2: All right, we got from uh, Big Brad. Seriously, another podcast? There are there are like a million of them things out there.
0: Seriously, Big f- you, f- you, Brad. Oh.
1: <laughs> I mean, seriously, Fuck f- it you. up your ass, Brad. Yeah. Go ahead and tune out. Yeah. Uh, Go grab a toll glass and shut the f- f- up. <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, We're going to go edit Brad that the post, folks. Yeah. No, no, Brad, that's a great question. Excellent question, Brad.
6: <laughs> that was I, that. I, um, I would
0: submit there is not a
1: podcast like this. There is not one that has... I've never seen someone flipping off the guy that asked a question, yeah. so you're right. There's only one like this, Brad. You won't find another one. Yeah. Should we give him something?
2: So, uh, you're, already, you're already upsetting the base. I mean... The base. Yeah, our base. base Is that our base? Bad Brad's not our base. No, he's not.
0: Bad Brad can suck it. He's getting a bag of coal for Christmas.
1: Listen. But anyway, good question. Why another (laughs) podcast, you know? You know I mean? (coughs) Well, you know, Brad, I just think that there's people not tapping into our industry that need to be tapped into, and we're trying to tap into it. And tappity, 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 tappity. We want to tap
0: that ass of this industry.
1: We're doing it. Go yeah. by a quad. See he you- already has one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video of him wheeling it down. The he's Todd, the yeah. quad god. Yes. Yeah, I think we'll leave it at that question. All right. Well, All right, anyway, yeah. Thanks, Brad. Love the question. All right. Listen. Thank you,
0: everybody, for tuning into our premiere episode. These are going to be a weekly show. Uh, so keep an eye out on our channels of social media, our website. Uh, if you're interested, you can also watch this on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search the Whiskey Throttle Show. Uh, You can check out the studio and the shenanigans and watch Grant flipping off our people that write in. Uh, Also, if you're going to be in Southern California, a better way is to just come and hang out in person. January 4th is going to be our first live show. We've got Ricky Johnson, the bad boy, coming in. Uh, We're going to sit down with him and cover his uh, life and career. At least he'll take the focus off me. That's right. That's right. Uh, So right here in the TLD Saloon, we've got Ricky Johnson coming in. You can get the tickets at thewhiskeythrottleshow.com or go to Road to Recovery, hit the shop button. You can buy them right there. $20 to get in, free 805 beer. You can hang out with some industry legends, get to meet RJ and chat with him, get an autograph, and uh, know that 100% of those sales are going to go to Road to Recovery, help injured motocross riders
1: and athletes. uh, And like I said, just have a good time. It's going to be a fun show. Well, they do a lot of cool things. Uh, Roto-Krevy, um, we saw Weston Pike and his injury coming back. Uh, a lot of a- other athletes. Um, and, um, th- you know, they've been around a while. and It's been fun to, you know, be a part of them. Yeah, well, we want to, we you know, do some good. We're not here just money-grubbing and trying
0: to, uh, you know. There's no money grub. There's no money to grub. Anyway, uh, we'll I also give, want you to get at us on our social media channels. So I'm running our Instagram account which has a nice name, at Whiskey Throttle Show. Oh, here we go. Uh, Grant's going to run our Twitter account. Grant, why don't you share with the fans what our shitbox Twitter account handle is? Well, Because I w- can't even memorize it. It's like a dash, a, a bleep, a click, ten different little emojis. Well, hold on. I'm emojis. pulling emojis
1: Just cut me some slack. So, here, I'll anyway. tell you what
0: it is. At W underscore throttle underscore show.
1: <laughs> I've... I swear, I been <laughs> tried my ass off. There's 15 characters, and like people have every way, shape, or form. I even I thought, oh, Whiskey Throttle's gone. Okay, I'll do Whiskey, but the I is a one. Oh, I got this. I'm gone. Okay, Throttle, I'll do an eight. You know, like, my <laughs> number, yeah. No, that's gone, too. Okay. I got to the point, I'm like, who the f*** has
2: all these f-ing
1: names? Like, how many G- Whiskey G-L's Throttle shows to, are there?
2: Hey, GL's just trying to find out who the real fan base is.
0: Uh, apparently so if you can remember at w underscore throttle <laughs> underscore show uh send us a, a tweet we're probably not going to get any except Bad or, you could Brad. Just,
1: or you could just search whiskey throttle and you'll find yeah us. it
0: might show up anyway send us some questions we'll answer them here on our four four wheel parts get at me q a uh send us some questions on instagram if you got a question for rj we'll, we'll put it into our list and ask him uh, I'll try to give you some credit on there if we can. Big thanks to Pat Stott from 90s Motocross. He sent in some great questions this week for Roger D. Um, and uh, so also don't forget to go on and subscribe to this channel. That way it drops right onto your phone or whatever device you're listening on every single week. Um, thank you for watching. Anything else to add?
1: Oh, no, I've already
0: cursed co- everyone out, so <laughs> we're good. All right. Well, from the TLD Saloon, I'm David Pingree. This is Grant Langston. I want to thank our producer, Donnie Bales. And uh, you guys keep twisting it, and we will see you back here January 4th. See See ya.